Today, it is the every time we think we got a nice, easy show to do, somebody does something stupid edition. And to join me here to talk about all these things and even more, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the Bernstein to my Woodward, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. Thank you for assigning me Bernstein, the most Jewish name of the duo. I appreciate that, and of course... I think I did that one time before and did it the other way around, and you wanted to be Bernstein. I think so. Yeah, I don't know I don't know if I'd want to be married to Nora Ephron, but that's another story, but it's a pleasure to be here, and I think we're going to have fun today. What do you think? I think we're going to have fun. We're going to have so much fun, they're going to have to wipe the fucking smiles off our fucking faces with a sandblaster, to quote Chevy Chase, or actually Clark Griswold. We're going to have a lot of... We've, even, we've got a party going on over here at the castle now, the, the Leaf... The leaf people are out in the yard. You may be able to hear what sounds like military helicopters going by every once in a while as we do the program today, but we did not want to be late. We did not want to be late because so much news has been breaking. Apparently, even though the ratings were up this past Wednesday night for AEW, Vince said, you know what, (laughs) I need to... I need to figure out some way to slip on a banana peel or throw this fight even further. I'm going to fire some more people uh, just to make sure that there's complete unrest in my locker room and everybody's on pins and needles, even though I make them swimming in money. What do you, I know Scrooge McDuck had, had the first money bin. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go swimming in Scrooge McDuck's money bin. But I've got to think that Vince now would have to have a bigger money bin that he goes swimming in. What do you think's going on up there? They're just because anybody in that locker room now is like, fuck. They anybody. It could be at any time the pathogen is in the room. Any of us could be hit. There's do you think that everybody is is contemplating bailing just because of the fact that they want to get out on their own terms before they get fired? Yes and no. I think certain <laughs> certain people are. I think people at the top of the card who have certain relationships with Vince, even at this stage of his life and with his capacities, those are the people more than likely to stay and will be given great deals. We'll see what the company turns into. The other problem becomes, you know, Tony Khan has hired a lot of people. He has a big roster, but he can't hire everyone. It's almost like Vince is daring Well, him. we don't know that. Well, he can't hire anyone, but when you said, are guys looking to jump out, I think, you know, another story is going to be guys looking for another alternative and looking for an angel to fund it. And I think uh, that'll be a story you're going to hear more and more about. Uh, well, we'll we'll have a special WWE section later on in the program where we can talk about all the things going on up there. And in, in, uh, but it, I, I think Vince is turning into Madman McMahon. He wants to give him away, but 
Nick Khan won't let him give all of them away, so he's just going to give most of them away. I understand he turned to Bruce Pritchard the other day and he said, fire Billy Jack Haynes and Coco beware. <laughs> and then he had to be reminded that they have been gone for many years. Excellent question, Shelton. But anyway. <laughs> Apparently um, that's a real story. Apparently that really That is happened. a real story, yeah. yes. Yes, a, um, a follow-up. We teased the big internet summit this past week here at the Castle on the last program. And a follow-up to that, actually, before we even get to the internet summit, so we've obviously everybody's been hearing about the issues that I've had here again with the internet, Wi-Fi, and the various and sundry affiliated technologies here at the castle. And so we had the internet summit scheduled for Thursday afternoon, but we had made some progress in bumping our signal up here on the the Skype machine so that you and I could record the program last time. So I'm I'm already feeling cursed on the internet. I go to the post office Wednesday morning, and there's the lovely and talented Bree, and I'm just wheeling those domestic packages over the counter. Boom, 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 boom. And then I had like eight or ten international packages. Save those for last. Put those up. She starts the first one. Yep. And she's looking at the screen. What? She can't connect to the customs website the only post office function that her computer will not perform is the one that i'm asking for she can't connect to the customs thing to type in the information to do that and she said it was down all day the day i was in came right back up the next day when i wasn't in so i finally got that done this morning but then i went home and i decided well i'm gonna go ahead and and get the rest of my work done, which I did. And then I'm going to relax, possibly put my feet up in the bedroom, watch a, a little bit of television before I lay my weary head down for slumber. The cable box in on the bedroom TV goes out. It had been dodgy for the program guide became unavailable on Tuesday. And then by Wednesday evening, then, like I said, the the fucking cable, the you couldn't get cable TV, but you could still watch a program on the DVR. That lasted about an hour, and then that went dead. And then it was just like, <laughs> and uh, honestly, I have, hold on here. Where is, uh, <clears throat> aha, I had gotten an email, and this was on Thursday. So this guy was was right on top of things. And I won't read his name for obvious reasons. But hey there, Jim. Obviously, I'm a big fan. Otherwise, I wouldn't be emailing your ass. I just heard about your issues with Spectrum and trying to order the AEW pay-per-view, which wouldn't work for me last weekend. I work for these no-good sacks of gum bump and snake feces and felt compelled to tell you why I think <laughs> you couldn't order the pay-per-view and your internet has been the drizzling shits. They probably won't tell you, but Spectrum in the Kentucky area was undergoing a back-office billing system upgrade. They fucked it up as they do most things. And I don't think they had resolved it, had, had it resolved until Sunday evening, possibly Monday morning. From what I heard, pay-per-view purchasing was the last issue they were having with this upgrade. This might get me fired, but oh well, fuck them. You and Brian keep me entertained daily at this corporate piece of shit, and I thank you both. Well, thank you, John... Higginlooper of fourteen forty two Meadowview Drive, Spectrum oh, employee. It. No, I'm I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, 
so I got that. <laughs> That's one of their and employees. The, yeah. <laughs> and I got some other tweets also that weren't real complimentary of, of, of them. And, and But anyway, so then Hotchkiss gets over here Thursday about noon. And I walked him through the whole layout. And he's taking notes. And he, I'm telling him that he's asking questions. And he's trying to see how this thing's all so that he can converse in the language of these people uh, you know like the it's the secret speaking of tongues like it at code academy so anyway that's not what they do at code academy well they speak in this mysterious coded language they do i've heard them modems and routers and <laughs> authorizations and provisionals and things and such i don't know but anyway so he gets here gentleman named marvin and marvin was on the ball remember the last time somebody came out here from this company they were like 16 years old you just knew they were a complete moron and they actually he was complaining about having to clean up the other guy's work uh behind him but anyway marvin has been on a job for 17 years marvin's got his shit together and he starts looking and we explain the progression of things over the last nearly 20 years of the wiring and etc and then he and Hotchkiss start measuring signals. Now, remember, I had, when we were having the Skype issues, I had 200 and something bytes of down, of down. Is it upload or download? What you have now or what you had then? No, well, the, what I told you, the big number in front. You had upload or well, download. Two, well, I had 200 and something of that and only 20 of the other. It was 20 well, upload, 200-something download. There you go. Tw 200 bytes of upload and 20 bytes of download. Apparently, the download's a little skinnier. It doesn't get to eat as fucking heartily. But anyway, then when Stacy had taken the, the, the signal boosters for the Wi-Fi and stuff and plugged the thing directly in the, uh, the Framistat that blew the conniption hinge, well, then I had 400-something bytes of... Uh, yeah and 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 20 something or more and then old marvin got to checking and he said well you're you're only getting you're only uh contracted for 500 bytes i said was well, that all you got i said, no we have a gig package i said wait a minute i don't have to cut myself over this you did and not he, say that. He looked him. at me black. Actually, I did because I was in front of Hodgkin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd get As soon as you have an audience, it's a problem. <laughs> Marvin looked at me blankly. But apparently, when we asked him on the phone, we said, give us, give us all you got, Captain. They gave us the 500-byte package, but not the one-gig package, which is apparently twice as much as 500 bytes. That's the way they do their math. So anyway, I was, all right, let's do whether well, you got to call an upgrade. So, and he's, by the way, he said, you got, you got two, two modems in the house. Yes. Two modems or routers, whatever. Yes. One at each end was one business and one's residential. I said, well, yeah, this one's in my office. I use for business and that one's just for personal use down there. And he said, well, you got two accounts and I only got one account. Well, how'd you do that? I see your company sold it to me that way. And we said we had to have that because we couldn't get the Wi-Fi from one end of the castle to the other without the two modems at each end. Oh, okay. 
So we call up, and do you believe this, Brian? This is the technician from the company, but they make him have to call the customer service line and go through the automated yes, no, and wait on hold to talk to some other schmo like just the rest of us marks. So that was off-putting. But then finally, we get through and some guy on customer service and we want to upgrade. Oh, I can help you with that, sir. 45 minutes later, he was still telling me he could help me with it. Because at first, he I gave him to Marvin. I said, here, talk to Marvin. Marvin's going to tell you everything we need. I'm the guy paying for it. I'm just saying yes, right? Okay. And then he hands me back to him and he's trying to do it. Then he tried, then he has to go get some assistance on his end of the phone. Then finally, everything's taken care of. Oh, wait, there's two modems. Yes. Oh, well, that changes things. And he's got to go back and do something else. Finally, he said he was all finished. And Marvin said, all right, it should come right through and I'll check everything. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Marvin has gone out to the pole, got a ladder, and climbed up there and replaced the cable coming from the pole down the pole and underground because there's cracks in it. Water's getting in there. So anyway, finally, he goes to check it. The extra speed ain't coming through. Well, he has to call back on his phone and meanwhile he and Hotchkiss are again wandering around with their phones like they're with metal detectors on Oak Island searching for <laughs> some type of treasure by measuring the signals in different places and he's doing the speed test on the computer the extra speed ain't coming through he calls back again the previous guy didn't ask a specific question about a certain modem or router and fucked it up is the best thing that I can tell you. And he had to talk to somebody else forever who then had to put him onto what they called an escalation team. It sounds like people are going to come out here with tactical weapons and grappling hooks and be scaling the goddamn house. But what that actually means is, apparently, from because Marvin was the only one, he was, he was like shaking his head. And he's like, I told him, well, I got to. And he said, you know, you, you, you've called 10 people, you get 10 different answers to things. So apparently the escalation team is the next step up from the customer service people that have screwed this up. And they are the ones that have taken it over. And within 24 hours, which was yesterday, by the time Marvin left, it was dark, right? It was getting dark. <clears throat> so around about six in the evening. So within 24 hours from yesterday afternoon, which still hasn't happened yet, the escalation team should have been able to clear whatever damaged or misinformation programming that they put in from that end so that I can get all of my gigs. But I'm up now to, I think they measured one at 600 and something. So I've gone from two to four to six. And my and my my other one's like thirty or forty something now. 
And so sooner or later, I'm supposed to get up in the 900s by the time they finish this. But they, they, they promised me they'd call me when they got it all worked out. I don't hear the phone ringing yet. You know what you should do? You should call them. No matter what, you should call them Monday well, morning and you should say, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to AT&T and let them give you a whole bunch of shit and a big discount to stay after all this, especially. Call them up and give them shit and mention their competitor, who they're actively at war with right now, competing for people like you. Cablevision on Long Island was so afraid to lose me to Verizon Fios at one point, they gave me an iPad. I got a better idea, because I got Marvin's name and his, his technician's number. And I'm going to call back if, if it, everything doesn't come through, because he knows what's going on here. And I'm going to have him come back. And then I'm going to call them. And instead of saying I'm going to their competitor, I'm going to say, you know, Marvin's been working for you guys for 17 years. And it'd be a shame to lose a valuable employee like that. Have you seen Marvin lately? Are you going to kill Marvin? What are you saying? Well, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, have you seen Marvin lately? Do you know where Marvin is right now? Check and see if there's a truck in Marvin's parking spot. Would you like Marvin to come in to work tomorrow? That's all I'm saying. They're going to say, who's Marvin? <laughs> they could have no idea who you're talking about. But then I'll say technician number so-and-so and such-and-such. And then they'll say, oh, shit, we can't lose him. He's, he's been dating the boss's daughter. They do such a good job of processing pay-per-view orders. I'm sure they'll be able to handle an emergency situation like the kidnapping and abduction of Marvin. <laughs> Where's Marvin? They'll send out an APB. Where's Marvin? Anyway, so that's so the story is I've got more than I had, but I don't have all of it yet, and it's a continue. It's a developing story. It's a fluid situation. It's it's I know what kind of fluid it is. And they're spraying it everywhere, all over all their customers. Um, speaking of spraying bodily fluids on your customers, the fine folks that have purchased items at Cornette's Collectibles, a brief <laughs> merchandise update. No, I tell you, hey, I'm, I'm spraying this stuff out. 1,300 individual orders down and a little bit less than 700 to go. This week, we are working on, if you ordered... A combination, well, not a combination, it wasn't a combination deal, but if you ordered a t-shirt and also to go along with it, ordered a photo or a Cult of Cornette membership certificate, that's going to be, and also if you ordered a t-shirt and a DVD, uh, those things are going to be getting knocked down this week, and uh, we're losing, obviously, we're losing a shipping day next week with Thanksgiving, but I'm working hard this weekend and all of Thanksgiving weekend, except for the day that you and I record programming, uh, to try to get uh, as far ahead as possible so we can get all this stuff out within a couple of weeks before Christmas. I appreciate everybody's patience. It's, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. Not everything's out yet. I don't panic. You could be one of the 700 instead of one of the 1300, but I'm not. And uh, by the way, uh, a plea for information from Cult of Cornet members in Australia and New Zealand. I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the program, but apparently, and I've got like so far, I don't know how many in total because I'm still muddling through the rest, but I've got about 
15 or so packages for Australia and New Zealand that are ready to go, but I've taken them in and have been told a couple weeks ago that they are not accepting first-class mail uh, from the United States, only pr uh, like uh, express mail, which uh, is apparently the only thing they're accepting. And I asked Bree this morning, I still haven't dropped that yet. It's somehow COVID-related, but I don't think it's, I don't know whether it's customs or whether it is just a backlog of their mail over there. So if somebody in the cult in uh, anywhere down under can tell us what's going on with your domestic mail and international mail situations, we're keeping an eye on this over here. Uh, but I'm waiting for the all clear because if I send it, they'll just either sit it somewhere or send it back. And apparently I did check this. <laughs> Do you know what it costs to do the express mail from Louisville, Kentucky to somewhere in Australia or New Zealand just for a one pound action figure? Uh, let me think about this for a second, because I may have an idea for T-shirt. Thirty five dollars. Eighty five dollars. What the fuck? No, you're talking you're talking first class mail. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're talking, no, I'm talking, they're not taking the first class mail. They're, they will take express mail. I mean, it's like a three-day delivery from Louisville to Australia. $85. But it's $85, I think, and change of some kind. So let us know what's going on down there, folks. But everybody else, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Thank you for your patience. As I, All I have, do is sweat over the internet, slave over these program uh, programs that we do, and then sign figures and books and pictures and etc that's that's what that's what i do to provide public service anyway uh real quick uh, for those of you who were wondering the uh trading card auction at heritage auctions has concluded as of last night as we record this the final results the sets went for eight thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars and it also that lot of cards had the most views of any item in the auction, which includes a cash uh, included rather a Cassius Clay rookie card, so that ain't bad. But uh, what the hell is a Cassius Clay rookie card from where? Well, it, it's a, it was a it's a trading card. I didn't read the whole goddamn and commit to memory the whole goddamn provenance of the thing, but it's it's Cassius Clay, with, I think from the Olympics, nineteen sixties, got the fucking thing, and it's a very rare card. And that was like thirty something thousand dollars, I think, last time I had checked it. Hold on, they, I'm looking this up. They Cash deal in some big time shit. I mean, there's a nineteen eighty-three Topps Greatest Olympians card. Is that the rookie card from nineteen eighty-three? Well, no, I no, it looked older than that to me. I don't know what you're looking at. I can't see you. All right, I don't know. Well, congratulations to all the winners. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we're going to be doing something else in January with another auction. More on that later. Anyway, a couple of shout outs real quick. Um, a big fan named Lester. I got a great email from him and also his mother, Doreen. So if that narrows it down enough so that they know who they are. Lester's had health issues uh, for a lot of his life, especially recently, but listening to the shows cheer him up and I had actually got an email from Doreen mentioning this and telling me a little bit about Lester. And then I went back and searched and Lester had emailed me a while back. You know me in emails. Fuck. I got people trying to give me money. I can't keep up with the emails, but 
So I did write him back. So Lester, if you haven't checked your email or if you didn't get it because my email's screwy, I'm sorry, but I, I did. And I haven't been able to check all my emails lately to find out if he got back with me because I've been in the midst of all this other stuff. So it's an ongoing situation. But Lester, we love you. And also, hold on, where's number two? I won't read the, the whole email, but uh, they'll know who's Stephen and JC from uh, and, and actually, I don't know if they still live there, but Stephen said he grew up in Greenville, Mississippi. So obviously he was a huge Mid-South wrestling fan. Uh, but our sympathies to Stephen and JC over losing their cat Tootie. Um, I get Tootie. It's a it's a Gunther Tootie. No, well, no, it's a T-O-T-Y <laughs> rather than a T-O-O-T-I-E. So it's Tootie or instead of Tootie, right? Or Tootie. Still, well, maybe. Anyway, whichever it was, she was 16 years old and she was a big fan of the programs, Brian. She especially liked your voice, but oh, she used to listen fantastic. to the shows when Steven would listen. So our sympathies over Tootie. And... What? Now, now, don't scoff. I'm not, it's not. No, I, I'm not scoffing at Stephen or or um, anyone who is friends or family with Tootie. It's, it's just your delivery of it. But of course, our yeah. deepest sympathies to uh, yes. the friends and family of Tootie. God, do your darn tootin'. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> so and here's Stephen and Jace here, but Tootie was like their daughter, and we're like, and I love animals, but you just got me. You just got me with that poor thing. Anyway, and another from Justin. And uh, well, I was going to mention his last name because uh, he's he's been a uh, – it's the first time he's ever sent an email to the show, but he's I've recognized him as a Cornets Collectibles customer. And uh, I think we've either emailed or uh, – no, we haven't emailed, but we may have tweeted before. Anyway, Justin. Um, the reason he sent an email is a sad reason. His mother just passed away, uh, I guess, like the first week of November. And her name was Virginia Barber. So our sympathies to the to the family and friends of Virginia Barber with in all straight-facedness. Uh, but Justin wrote, she was a huge wrestling fan of the golden era of professional wrestling. And I remember her telling me stories about how much she hated that slimy, Sneaky little punk Jim Cornette. <laughs> she would get go. so mad that she almost broke the television on several occasions because of your antics. I remember saying to her, I think he's an okay guy. He has pretty cool suits. But sometimes when I took her to doctor's appointments, I would have your podcast on in the car and we would share so many laughs, especially talking about the subject of breakfast. Mr. Last, oh, my on. mom and I hope one day you will come to your senses. Oh, get out Sausage gravy. Sunny side up eggs, a nice warm biscuit and fried potatoes is the key and a must have for any true breakfast. So anyway, Justin is not an expert. Justin is listening to our programs to take his mind off or he was at least as of a week or two ago planning the services and everything and adjusting our sympathy on the loss of your mother. But she obviously knew her wrestling and her breakfast. I always like when people say. Then in the 80s, they were so mad at you, not from your promos, but your antics. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. His antics got to me. Every once in a while, I had an exploit. Every <laughs> once in a while, I had an exploit. But sometimes, most of the time, it was just antics. And occasionally, there was the, the off-brand off of bit of tomfoolery. Um, 
And a cosmic fireball here and there. Cosmic fireball here and there. Speaking of off-brand tomfoolery, a couple of updates on previous topics on the programs. I guess at full gear, now we found out the AEW pay-per-view, Dax Harwood got knocked goofy, was concussed by old Felix uh, earlier in the tag team match, which may have contributed to why the finish made no bloody sense. I mean, I... They were still going to go for a mask switch, which was going to slow things down regardless. But remember, we kept asking, and Dax was just, they didn't switch because Dax was just under the ring. Maybe Dax was under the ring because he didn't know whether to wind his ass or scratch his watch. Because the fuck, and he tweeted a picture of himself after the pay-per-view. I guess he was headed home and his, did you see it? The side of his head and his face is all swollen out. And he's like, I've got family pictures today. I did not see that, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I think I retweeted it. because, um, But it was, so apparently, that may be why he he was incommunicado on, on that or whatever that finish was. But uh, And am I hearing that Felix was less than apologetic, according to sources on the internet, and, and people were upset that he didn't actually go and say, hey, I'm sorry I knocked you the fuck out. I don't know if less than apologetics the right way. The way it was put to me was indifferent. <laughs> so I don't know if that necessarily means the same thing, but similar. If he dies, he dies. Uh, well, Penta right. says, if he dies, he yeah. dies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Alex was the heel of the team. I didn't know it was Felix. And somebody said I should change Penthouse's name because that implies a certain element of status and splendor and and cachet in the community and i should go more with outhouse so we may have to look at that um did you hear uncle dave meltzer is reporting in his fine publication that we're, we, this is a follow-up we talked about the exploding ring barbed wire death you know gasoline powered fucking freight train run over you match that they brought onita over here to to jersey to your state to the state capital to the state capital what boy there that capital is in some state um <laughs> they brought onita over to have a an outlaw exploding ring barbed wire fire pit death match with some ex garbage match he was retired he came out of retirement for this specific incident here but he was a retired garbage death match rest and we also mentioned that right after the uh match was over with he suddenly realized that he was in excruciating pain and needed to call an ambulance to go to the hospital to a burn ward um well now the update is apparently Onita's financial compensation. Have you seen this, Brian? Is this news to you? This is news to me. Okay, Onita's financial compensation was alleged by Uncle Dave to be an aggregate of all the things, not only the match, but of a video interview and appearance of whatever whatever the peripheral things were that he on his weekend of terror that he spent in the United States for this thing. He got $25,000. Now, um, the event, again, Meltzer stands by the, the reporting that it drew about 300 people. Now, I w let me just jump in here. To be fair, 
to be fair. We have heard from other people who said there were more people, including people who sent pictures, which it seemed to be a bigger crowd than 300 people. What did those pictures, what did, what would you estimate that crowd? It just from, from what you could see. At least 500. I, I mean, oh, three, oh, there you go. Well, there well, you there's go. a difference. 300 looks like 300. 300 yeah, looks pretty sparse. Looks like 300 plus an even worse house all sitting together. I said at least 500. All right. Well, any, the point is, there. Th- this was not a turnaway crowd in any venue. This was this was a group of people who that type of shit appeals to, congregating in the state capital of New Jersey, in a in, a, in an open air field of some description. What was it? The Thunder Field, the uh, ballpark for the uh, Trenton Thunder. Yes, the Trenton Thunder, as opposed to the Camden Colonels. Okay, whether it was 300 or it was 500 was set, whatever the case. $25,000 for the streaming rights and a video interview and the appearance and the match and everything. The opponent now, the bald fat guy that got sent to the burn ward, apparently was also the promoter of the live event. So I've heard... <laughs> of somebody really getting burned on a wrestling show before financially. And now I've heard about it happening personally, but I've never heard of a guy getting burned up two different ways on a show. He lost his ass and set fire to it. Think about this on, on Onita's part. Onita, he's 62, right? He's two years older than me. What? If you, Brian, were 62 years old, not only a retired wrestling legend in the country of Japan, but an ex-elected politician, and did I mention you're 62 years old with numerous physical injuries, and somebody says, I'll give you $25,000 to fly your ass all the way to the United States, to do a video interview, to make a personal appearance, to sell me the streaming rights, to tell me how to do this, to have a match where the ring's going to blow up and be set on fire. And there's a, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that your opponent gets hurt, not you, because somebody's going to get hurt, but there's every probability that things can go wrong and you're going to get burned or fucking cut or sliced open or some fat ass is going to land on you. And then you got to wrap yourself up and fly all the way back to Japan. Is that worth $25,000 to a senior citizen? I wouldn't think so, but maybe he needs the money. God damn. Wouldn't you think he could come out ahead doing something in Japan for half that amount of money and just say, okay, I'm even. That wouldn't involve setting yourself on fire. And this guy, apparently, uh, once again, this is credit to Uncle Dave. Any uh, legal missives can be sent to his representatives. But Dave says the fat guy opponent that's in the burn, by the way, still in the burn ward, as this was last week's Wrestling Observer. He was there for, he's been there for a couple weeks. I don't know he's out yet. Wait, and how long not, ago was the match? How, I mean, I didn't realize he was still in the hospital. Two or three weeks ago. Wow. I mean, once again, this is not up. This is last week's Observer that this was mentioned, and I'm mentioning it now because I've just, this has just been brought to my attention. But he was in the, they said he was going to be there for a week. 
and that was in the previous week's edition. He's been there a couple weeks. If he's out, well, fine. Hopefully he's not showing himself on the way home. He'll scare children on the street, being all burned up and everything. At least Bray Wyatt had the common courtesy not to show himself in public for months after he was burned alive on in a wrestling match. Um, So the guy ponies up a significant part of that money, runs this show in front of three or 500 people or who gives a shit in a, on a ball field in Trenton gets set on fire and spends a couple weeks in the burn ward. And then is going to have to figure out how to pay all these fucking bills. Welcome to death match wrestling folks. <sighs> Maybe Onita always had a dream of coming to the States and wrestling in Trenton. I have no comeback for that. That's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard. Maybe he's a big fan of Brendan Byrne or you, Corzine you know, or Christie. You realize that if any if anybody ever had a dream of of wrestling anywhere in New Jersey, it would either be Totowa or say <laughs> No and no. And there was a boy with what? a dream of wrestling in New Jersey, and his name was Buddy Rogers. What about Teterboro? Teterboro's a wonderful place. I go out of Morristown now. I don't do Teterboro anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I hate that that fellow is in the hospital, all burnt up, and his his skin probably itching by now and everything. I wish there was something that we could send him or that he could have in the hospital that wouldn't disturb the other patients but would still take his mind off of his situation of being potentially financially ruined and also being burned up like a scorched smoked sausage. I know. What about if he's laying in that hospital bed, Brian, with a big pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in his ears so he can listen to anything. He can listen to calm music. He can, he can take courses in how to get himself a real line of work. You know, those audio instructional courses. So he don't have to go back to setting himself on fire at football fields in front of 500 people. He can listen to our podcasts so we can tell him what a dumb shit he is. I would suggest he doesn't listen to that. I would suggest you don't listen to the podcast, Mr. Yeah, that probably wouldn't take his mind off of his troubles because we would be making fun of them. But if you want to listen to music or podcasts or any kind of audio programming, whether it be books or educational courses or whatever the raycon wireless earbuds folks will work and they will work better than all the other brands because the audio quality is amazing and the prices start at half the price of these premium brands the everyday earbuds come with three new sound profiles to make sure that everything you're listening to sounds its best even if you got a lawnmower outside your house with just the right amount of bass you got the pure mode the balanced mode the bass mode the trout mode. I always like it when people say the bass mode. Anyway, Raycon offers eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's a built-in microphone. You can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. And can you hang up on people at the press of a button also? Yes. Well, that's more important. They ought to be advertising that. I don't see that anywhere in this information. You can hang up on a no-good, dirty son of a bitch with one press of a button. Folks, so this holiday season, get them something they can use for calls or music, for work or play at home or on the go, or just pick up a pair for yourself. And trust me, 
You're going to use them every day. Because once you put these things in your ears, you'll never want them to come out. Sometimes they don't come out, even if you want it that way. They always come out of your ears. They They're very safe at- to use and very comfortable. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the other stuff. Sometimes that doesn't come out. I got some wax on mine what? once. Anyway, go to buy Raycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E today to unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. But this offer is available for a limited time and you do not want to miss it because then you won't be able to listen to these fantastic earbuds. So buyraycon.com slash JCE up to 20% off your Raycons. That's for the holidays, Brian. Jingle bells. Batman smells and Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel and the Joker ran away. All right, we have news aplenty from the world of the WWE, or the universe, I'm I'm sorry, I should say, of the WWE. And again, I guess, uh, you know, all roads lead to the Survivor Series showdown between Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Is this going to be a shoot now? Do we get... Because honestly, Charlotte and Nia Jax was a shoot, and it wasn't that entertaining. These girls... They might be more even. You you can't shoot or work with Nia Jax. It's, it's as I said, it's like trying to do wrestling moves to a couch. But uh, <laughs> Charlotte and Becky could be a could be a good little scrap. You think there? Charlotte's got some size on her. But Becky seems like she's a feisty little thing, as we used to say about Terry Reynolds, full of spunk. So. What do you think? Who are you betting on? I'd bet on Becky. I think Becky would just have to land one good punch. And I don't know if Charlotte could take a good punch. I think Charlotte would go down quick. I don't know. Charlotte's got an athletic background. Charlotte didn't really impress me very much with the Nia Jax thing. It would think Nia Jax was in complete control. Well, that's be- it's because her legs are like fucking oak trees. How are you going to fucking take her down? How you going to, you know, I mean, I know that, that the UFC and modern era has proven that you the, the big person always doesn't beat the little person, but. I don't know what you could do with Nia Jax besides possibly make her a stenographer. Uh, But anyway, back to Becky and Charlotte. So the point that I was trying to make is they're apparently trying to make this a shoot, right? Or trying to give this the appearance of a shoot because they, I'm not saying they're working us and they're all the best of friends giggling and sharing strawberry Haagen-Dazs. I'm saying that they don't like each other and they've had problems. They used to be friends and now they are using that real life situation that apparently came to a head in the belt transfer segment and they're trying to turn it into a little business, which I don't have any problem with. But how far you, well, you've got some quotes that Becky Lynch gave about Charlotte and I'm just, I'm going to, tell you what I think after you read them because she's not completely going over the top and just questioning Charlotte's parentage and deeply personal profane insults, but she's getting the point across, right? Well, Becky Lynch was interviewed on the MMA hour. Hey, if she's on the MMA hour, I especially take her against Charlotte. All right, there we go. (laughs) Well, there you go. Interviewed by Ariel Hawani. And here are some quotes. She was asked about the incident, the belt transfer, as it will now infamously be known forever. (laughs) There was a plan in place that was supposed to go one way. If it went one way, 
everyone would have had a moment and it would have been great. I, in the back, said this isn't going to happen. She's going to do something else. Oh. She did exactly what I said she was going to do. Sometimes things can happen out there and people get carried away in a moment. You don't have time to process what happens, she admitted. But I knew she was going to purposely disrespect me. I processed it a lot quicker, so I was able to hold it together until I got backstage. I did what I was supposed to do, and then when I got backstage, I lost it a little bit. I verbally lost it. I still had a match to go and do, so I didn't have time to be scrapping in the back. And she then went on to say... No, wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, I had to go back out and do a match later on. I didn't have time to kick her ass right then. <laughs> Becky Lynch uh, then talked about the whole situation. There was no need for it because at the end of the day, it wasn't about me. It was about Sasha and her getting into something. So I was like, this is just ridiculous. You need to go out there and be able to trust each other because that's what this is. You need to be able to trust that one person is going to do what they said they're going to do. It's professional wrestling. It's a beautiful art that I love. I love it more than anything. It's telling stories through violence, essentially. When somebody goes out and you can't trust them to do what we've agreed on doing, then what are we doing? Because our bodies are in people's hands. What we do is extremely dangerous. We are trusting somebody with our lives. Uh, and then uh, Flair recently questioned whether her gender is the reason that people get rubbed the wrong way. Lynch made it clear that isn't the case. <laughs> Nobody acts like this. Nobody just cares about themselves. They care about the segment and how everybody else looks, and they work together. Nobody else does this. There's no guy on the roster. There's no girl on the roster. Everybody else, when you work with them, you know it's going to be easy. And you're going to make magic and do some fun things, and we are going to get the audience to feel a certain way because it's a show. No guys or girls act like that. So you can't say, it's because I'm a woman. No, it's because you're an asshole. Any comments on <laughs> that section of quotes? Well, and, and let, let me uh, just footnote this. Actually, and I agree with Becky Lynch and what she said, that it is that way now. It didn't always used to be that way that everybody was pitching in to have the best, utmost best match and work together for the common good and et cetera. It used to be that if you were a main event guy, especially in some places, you fucking, you know, you had to fight to keep your spot and there were other people. It was, it, it, the point I'm making is the matches didn't devolve and degenerate into shoots and fucking et cetera. But you, it's hard to explain this to somebody who's not versed on the inside of what wrestling was like in those days, but you had to, in a working environment, kind of fight for what you got in some of those matches, which led the main events, the, the big matches, especially when there was a little element of real life tension amongst guys, it added to the aura that you were seeing a fight that wasn't necessarily being you know, orchestra uh, performed to plan. Does that make sense to you, Brian? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, again, there was the threat of phony violence, apparently, as a stooge test, but there's a reason the Bulldogs <laughs> and the Rougeos are able to work together at Survivor Series 88. You know, there was kind of a code where you're not going to, no matter what problems you have, you can't be the guy to hurt someone in the ring because you're being irresponsible because where else are you going to work? No one's going to want to work with right. you. 
But that doesn't mean that when you're working with a guy that you don't like, that he may not make you struggle a little more to get out of that fucking headlock and get something of your own and et cetera. And that led to a little more. To a better match. <laughs> to a better match. Yeah, there, there you go. Anyway, what else did Becky have to say? Well, apparently the Becky story really took a turn of her and Ric Flair are going at it. And again, we assume a large portion of this stuff is some legitimate feelings that she's not being reprimanded for airing publicly. But some of this, they are having a match at Survivor Series. So some of this is well, yeah, clearly... And, and also, I saw one quote where the guy just flat out asked asked uh, Becky, do you trust Charlotte in the ring? And she said, I, I don't think so. Something like that. So point I was going to make is that they would not be talking this publicly if the office didn't approve it. I'm not saying the... Or at least she wouldn't. Becky wouldn't. And only one, only one side's really talking, too. I was about to say, Charlotte hadn't had a lot to say, but if if Becky thought that what she'd said there was in any way not kosher with the office, I don't think she would have gone that far. But I think they're trying to say, all right, since they don't like each other and everybody knows it anyway, let's get some mileage out of it. So I don't think she's going to be reprimanded unless she calls Charlotte some profane, obscene name that gets you thrown in jail and three Midwestern states. I'm just going to say this right now because I just had a really troubling thought. They better not do some sort of fucking swerve finish because it's a Survivor Series and there's legitimate heat where they play on Montreal. <laughs> oh, come on now. They better not. I got nightmares of that considering who's in charge over there right now. I oh. sincerely hope they don't do that. Well, I just want to absolve myself of any responsibility for this one. <laughs> I'm not even there. I'm well, not even there. Well, Jim, apparently Becky also had some comments and went back and forth a little bit with Ric Flair. I'm not exactly sure where this came from. Uh, I have an article here from the New York Post. The latest saga with Ric Flair and Becky Lynch came earlier this week. Lynch gave a strong promo implying Charlotte Flair had ripped off her father's gimmick. In response, the elder Flair, <laughs> which is a funny way to put it, who, uh, by the way, Jim, has a Really troubling thing where he puts the first letter of every word in caps. In capitals on Twitter. I'm, I'm, do you have to do that on purpose or is it just a setting that, that he's not uh, aware of? It's not a setting I'm aware of. So I think you have to do it on purpose. Because I don't, because you know, I don't text at all. So he's still ahead of me. Uh, all props to the Nate for doing the texting thing. But I would think that would be more difficult. Well, apparently Ric Flair or someone representing Ric Flair using his account tweeted out, I think I'm going to have to make the trip personally to see you beat the piss out of Miss Charlotte. I don't think so, sister. <laughs> I don't think so, sister. The man, big time Bex or whatever you call yourself. There's not enough choreography in the business to save you, Becky Lynch. Woo! Now, again, whatever is going on with her and Charlotte, we don't know if Rick is just going off freestyle here <laughs> or if anyone's actually asked him to participate. But Becky's response was, again, in the Ariel Hawani interview on the MMA Hour, look, I saw that tweet, the one you're referring to, the one I'm referring to. I wrote out a response that would have been quite biting, and I deleted it and let it go because I think it's really sad. This, a legend at one point. This legend, a 16-time world champion, Ric Flair, is now jealous of me. That's cool. It's cool for me. And now he's trying to use me to get clout. 
to promote whatever he has going on next because he's dug himself into a bit of a hole with other things. Oh. Uh, yeah. How much of I that is working? I don't know whether they asked Rick to play or not, even if this is a work, because that seemed like that she didn't take that uh, particularly kindly. Um, maybe Rick just thought he would pop in and add to the situation, and, and Becky didn't know it was coming. I don't know what's going on with these people. Apparently, in response to Becky's comments, Rick Flair, or a representative controlling his Twitter account, retweeted those comments as well as an article about Ric Flair officially selling The Man, the trademark of The Man, to WWE. Which, that's right, he did it, what, like two years ago? Uh, maybe a year ago. I'm not sure how long ago it was. It's been, it's been a little while. We talked about it here on the show when it was happening. But Ric Flair quote-tweeted both of those images and said, So disappointed. I did this out of respect for you, Becky Lynch. It made you millions and made me nothing. After 40 years of being the man, the company doesn't own it, and neither do you. I'll always be the man. Ask your husband. Oh! And by the way, for the record, you did sell the man, so you technically are not the man. <laughs> and you didn't do it out of respect. You did it out of need for money, I believe. Was there ever a sale price on the man report? What's the sticker price on the man? Or right, was that he didn't give it up. He was trying to battle them for it. It wasn't like I did this out of respect for you. It was like, no, I made sure I got every penny I could out of them. And then I said, okay. Well, but did we ever get a figure on the sale price of the man? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. That it would be interesting to find it because if she'd made millions, I wonder, you know, how much did it cost originally? Uh, ah, well, and I, I also saw something. Because now I guess that since Rick, possibly Rick sees that he thinks that the, like we do, that the office is, if not encouraging, at least allowing Becky to say these things. Maybe that's why he got a little stirred up. And now he's talking about wanting his belts back. The WWE is holding his legacy hostage. Which belts do, which belts do they have? Who owns them? What's the lineage here? He tweeted a picture of himself with the domed globe, and then I think himself with one of the, the WWF belt, rather than the big one that Crockett uh, got made in 86. So uh, I thought Triple H had the domed globe, and I thought that uh, Rick's son-in-law had purchased the big gold and the case that it used to go in, but didn't did they do something on treasures? With that belt, or I'm thinking of the robe? No, I think that was the robe, or many robes, in fact. Or many robes. So, Which have shut down in value. So apparently he wants Triple H to give him the domed globe back, because that's the last we heard is Triple H has that, right? Didn't he get that to save it from being the subject of a uh, litigation between... Carrie Silken and High Spots and yeah. they involved with Rick. So they, if, if Triple H bought it so that they would have it in the headquarters, then I believe if he, should he sell it back to Ric Flair? He shouldn't just give it since they bought it? What's going on here? To be very honest with you, I think Ric Flair is just trying to get attention for his latest subprime project. I think that's what this all is. Oh, come on now. And I'm being very serious because it's ridiculous otherwise. 
It was a belt that was the NWA's. He was the last champion to use that belt. He ended up in possession of that belt. That belt was used as collateral for several things. I'm not someone who will ever defend Carrie Sokin. But he ripped off Carrie Sokin, and I believe Carrie Sokin had a claim on that belt legitimately. I think he used that belt for collateral in a deal with High Spots, and the same thing happened. And I'm not a High Spots fan. I think they were in the right too, and Rick used that against them. So I'm not sure who owns what. If Paul Levesque, on behalf of WWE, which that's important to clarify, it may be in his office, right? but I'm sure the company owns it. If Paul Levesque, on behalf of WWE, settled Ric Flair's debts for the belt, and I don't know that he did or didn't, or just outright purchased it in a way that appeased all the people with claims on it, then it's owned by WWE. Ric Flair doesn't have any right to just like, give it back to me. And the, the other belt, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about, to be quite honest with you. But and you, you know what? Here, though, it's not preposterous that Triple H might own it himself because he was a big fan of Flair's. He's a big fan of the modern era of territory wrestling. And it's not like he's strapped for cash anytime in the last few years. So he may have just said, Hey, I just want it for my office and bought it himself. We don't know. It was WWE money. That's an interesting question. How do you think Vince McMahon would react if someone like a triple H was buying things at or major historical items and it wasn't for the company archive. It wasn't for the warehouse. It was for themselves. Well, I don't think he's gone off on a, on a spree. I think if, if obviously Triple H and Vince McMahon knowing each other well on a personal basis. If Triple H says, Hey, I got Flair's belt. I'm going to put it up in my office. Vince, Hey, good, good for you, pal. That type of thing. If he was off buying like a truckload of items from various places that, you know, didn't really fit together in what Vince would see as Triple H wanting something personally, then he may be, Oh, what's going on here? You know, what are you doing? But that I don't think so. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I just think it's a it's an attention grabbing thing. That's what I think it is. <sighs> just because it's ridiculous we, on the face of it. That's can't it. we all just get along though? Like it used to be in wrestling when nobody was mad at anybody. Actually, everybody's always been mad at people in wrestling. It's just that nobody knew about it because there wasn't the internet. Speaking of being mad, how many more uh, ex-WWE employees or independent contractors, I should say, are, are mad today than were yesterday? What are they doing? The, how many people? Was it eight more from the main roster? Uh, I'm counting the names now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight names I have here. Correct. Oh, and did did you hear that? Remember back when we were trying to watch NXT and actually were watching NXT before it got unsalvageable and the thousand year old uh, Asian or mystical Chinese lady or whatever, Mei Ying, not Mei Young, but that was with Boa and Zia Lee, the that everybody was afraid of. You remember that, right? Of course, I could have ever Mysterious never, never been unmasked or never got the exact story of how this ancient Chinese secret came to be or whatever, right? Guess what they did? I don't know. What, what did they do? They didn't fire her. They just changed her gimmick. They dropped the fucking thousand-year-old Chinese woman thing, and she's now just a regular wrestler. But they never actually said that was that. They just dropped the whole goddamn thing. With the same name? No, different name and everything. Okay. Well. Just 
just no, we we're not doing that anymore. No, not even a payoff to that bit. That's like when they cancel your favorite episodic series before they get to the fucking conclusion where you find out who done it or what happened or whatever. I think they did that to that fucking dome show. Remember several years ago under the dome? I wanted to find out what the fuck, how that dome got there, what they were going to do about it, and how everybody was going to get out of it. And I don't think they ever fucking did before they canceled it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Under the Dome, it was a TV show where suddenly, one day in this small town somewhere in America, a dome, an invisible but dome, just appeared over, and you couldn't get out of it. And nobody could get out of town. You couldn't dig under it. You couldn't fly over it. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't. You know, like that. George Clinton type of shit. Under the Dome. You don't remember that show. I do not. Well, the thousand-year-old May Young is going to have a guest spot on that show when they start shooting again. Perhaps I don't remember because of all that George Clinton shit. And that might be possible. Uh, but anyway, who'd they fire this week? Well, Jim, the biggest name at the top of the list, WWE has released John Morrison. Well, and it makes sense because they just fired Frankie. Or I should call her Taya Valkyrie now, again. Uh, which was insane. Again, I've, I mentioned with her, she was different than all the other girls. She had experience. She had a different look and a different style. And she looked like something. And she could talk. And she had the charisma. And they bring her in and push her like Paris Hilton. And then and then push her out the door like fucking Lindsay Lohan. Um, with Morrison... Again, the guy's still in tremendous shape. He can work. He's got a personality. They've just they've tied him to that fucking Miz forever. Um, it's you know, and I mean, he's obviously he's been booked by the WWE, so probably maybe no better, no worse than anybody else. Certainly not well, but I don't see why you can't find something for that guy to do, especially when he's still in that kind of shape and that youthful with that much experience and obviously a quality employee. What do you think he'll be, Johnny Rampage or Johnny Dynamite? Oh, boy, I hope he gets finished with that altogether, of uh, changing his name every week like he's trying to stay ahead of the law. Because uh, <laughs> you can't establish an identity based on that. And that's... they. You know, anyway, I can't see why. Again, you said Tony Khan can't hire everybody, but we have no evidence of that. So far, he acts like he can. And by the same time, somebody, um, it was AEW Botches, the account on Twitter, tweeted the length of time that it's been since we've seen certain people on the actual television program. They're hidden on the YouTube show or whatever the fuck. And Sonny Kiss, Jelly Nutella. Some of the, you know, the ridiculously, egregiously outlaw indie talent, not ready, never will be ready, that they signed at the start of this thing. They've they've cleared their television program of, but since they brought in legitimate talent. At some point, those contracts are going to be coming up and obviously will not be renewed because unless to quote Carrie Silken to me one time, what am I running here? Make a wish? If Tony Khan thinks he's 
going to support every aspiring wrestler, you know, in, in the world, then maybe he won't let those contracts lapse, but one would think he would. And you're upgrading. There's upgrades available. There's been upgrades available every few months for the last what year or so that the WWE mainly has provided to him. So they have handed him um, a lot, a large part of the quality guys they've got on the AW roster now. And I'd, I see no reason why to think they're going to quit doing that. So I, I definitely think Morrison would be a fucking addition to AEW or anybody else. He's, you know, he's worked everywhere. I'm not saying he's going to be in the main event of WrestleMania or the main event of all out or all in or full gear, or whatever, but he's certainly better than a lot of guys in every company right now. Well, another somewhat of a surprise. I mean, I know they cut B-Fab last week, Jim, but <laughs> Isaiah Swerve Scott, Top Dalla, a.k.a. AJ from the Treasure Show, yeah. and Ashanti V. Adonis have been cut from WWE. I don't know whether if this is the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing or if it's, you know, two different heads up the same ass clunking into each other. They They put these this group together and they run them all the way through developmental and then they launch them on the main roster. And as soon as they do, they take the girl, which because it's three guys and one girl, she got a lot of attention. They take her out of the group and then fire the rest of the group the next week. What the fuck? They just started fucking what? Six weeks ago. And this guy was the one of the guys was the host of their A and E show. How do they? How do they go from we want you not only to be uh, you're in developmental as a wrestler, we want you to host the A and E treasure show, and then we're going to put you in a group that we're going to push to the moon and make records and give videos to, and blah blah blah. And as soon as you start on the main roster, we're going to fire all of you that's what i give that they gave them so much time on two different shows it makes no sense why they would do this <laughs> what the hell is this i i i mean if what has changed in the last six weeks that you wouldn't even since you've already debuted these people on the show and now you say well i really changed my mind i got buyer's remorse whatever spend three months getting somebody else over on, you know, at their fucking expense and then fire them for fuck's sake. It's not like you're paying them to wrestle. So just have them start losing instead of winning, but don't just, ah, fuck it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Somebody's going to clip that audio. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. That may be something aligned with WWE going forward, that statement, but another name released, Tegan Knox. Well, I hate it for him. Her, she was in NXT, we've watched oh. her many times. Yeah, that's right. Well, I hate it for her. Drake Maverick, once again released. You know, and I've said this before. I've met this young man. He's, he's, he's a great kid. He's dedicated. He worked at LVW. He was in Impact. He's been everywhere. Um, he, I'm sure he works very hard. He's very dedicated. 
It's just a size issue, as I can't imagine that anybody else of that size has worked for the WWE that long ever in its history. Because Drake is smaller than Mysterio, right? I think so. Or certainly at least thickness, if not height. Yeah, I never thought of it before, but I think um, so. So I'm, you know, I mean, then all uh, uh, platitudes to him that he got away with it this long. But I've, I've just, I've never been able to see Vince McMahon saying, wait a minute, this is a wrestler? He just, he's small. And that wasn't going to fly in that company, especially. The other names, I'm not sure if they would really register with you. Shane Thorne and Jackson Riker. Um, actually, Shane Thorne was part of a tag team that we brought to Ring of Honor a couple of times about 10 years ago. And I'm trying to sh- Nichols and Haste. They're Australian, I believe, or at least one of them was. And I'm trying to as blurt this out as I think about it, but the point is they were a real good tag team. And uh, Delirious had seen them on tape, and we brought them in for a couple of matches. And I think there was a, I think the biggest thing was there'd have been a situation with more fucking visas and international talent with all the trouble we were having with trying to get anybody fixed up like that. And that's the reason why we didn't move forward with them. But um, I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. And I've seen him work and I was a fan, but they've done little or nothing with him. And the other guy, wasn't he the one that got in trouble because he's a big Trump sucker and blurted out something in support of the mango Mussolini at, at a wrong or inappropriate time and he got a lot of heat for it? That sounds right, but I don't remember. I can't remember what the particulars were. But so already, I don't care whether they push him off a cliff or not. Well, those are the releases. I mean, just wrapping this up, it seems like it's a monthly thing now. Or every few weeks, where they're cutting a large amount of people. What the hell are they doing over there? I, You know, again, I think it's just that... And you tweeted out something that I retweeted. How long is it before the WWE starts investigating computer-generated wrestlers so we, you know, they don't have to deal with human beings. I think the new regime, the new business people, Nick Khan, all the executives and minions and things that he's hired have, and Vince, whatever's in Vince's mindset, if he can be convinced that this is the wave of the future, we're an even bigger business now and more professional And this is the way we should deal with these things. Wrestlers are interchangeable. Train them, use some, keep a few megastars, and the rest of them we can just work through. Because what the fuck? I think that's the way they think, and that's why they're fine. Let Tony Khan sign all that he wants and spend all his money, because we'll make more and who gives a shit. And they're both arrogant and also, you know, with the the quality or lack thereof of all the TV shows that WWE is producing. It's not that they're, they look low budget. It's not that they're shittily shot or that it's some fault of their, there's some, you know, fly by night company. It's that they don't still and never have since Kevin Dunn crawled out from under his rock and into that company. They've never understood how important the wrestling and the wrestlers are. They've always been, 
we look like network television. Yeah, you do. We've got this huge office building, and we're going to get a bigger one. we got this great studio. we got all this infrastructure, and we have these wonderful marketing people. But ultimately, and it used to be when you had a smaller group like Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, you know, the Jack Lanzas, the ex-wrestler agents, that era, the 80s and 90s, there was more respect to the guys in the ring. But now all those people are gone. Nobody has any respect for the guys in the ring except for, um, you know, the lowly producers who used to be wrestlers, but they're not in Vince's inner circle like Lanza and Patterson and George Steele and all those guys. And everybody else is a fucking modern nitwits that think that you can train somebody to be a wrestler in six months and it's, and then blah, blah, blah. And then, and I don't think that Vince necessarily would have the same warmth of feeling or respect that he has, that he had for some of the guys in the eighties and nineties, because he was used to looking at the undertaker and Bret Hart and, you know, Steve Austin and on down the line. And now he's seeing like what a lot of us see a lot of kids that are just happy to be there and are scared to say boo to a goose. And, and are intimidated by the whole process. And there was something to be said about the guys that came in from the territories in the 80s and 90s, especially, and when they were convinced they were somebody and could be somebody else. You know, they might be problem children, or they might be model employees, but they didn't walk around telling Vince every 15 minutes how overwhelmingly happy they were to just be allowed to be there. And that may make a difference with him. Well, we shall see what happens, and we'll see who's fired next week on As the World Turns. Well, as uh, speaking of next week, who's left for the Survivor Series? Who has survived until the Survivor Series? Who have they got left on the roster? Did they fire anybody off that card? It's only happening in three days. It appears that there are still wrestlers employed by WWE or independently contracted by WWE to appear at the Survivor Series taking place in Brooklyn. I heard that they're doing a limited edition Bruno San Martino shirt, which made me think, oh yeah, the big Bruno Brooklyn connection. When I think no, of- are, are they really? Is that a rib or are they really? I was told by someone yesterday that there's going to be, and it, it could be wrong, but I was told by someone who would know there's going to be limited edition Bruno San Martino shirts for this event. Because when you think of Bruno in New York, you think of the Barclays Center. <laughs> well, but now, okay, you know the New York geography. Is Brooklyn. Part of actual, are the people in New York, are they offended by Brooklyn's presence, or is it all part of the New York metropolitan area? It's all part of the general area, and Bruno was beloved throughout the five boroughs and Long Island and New Jersey and beyond. Well, there you go. However, Bruno has zero (laughs) connection to the fucking Barclays Center or any big building in Brooklyn like that, so it's a bit ridiculous. Where was Shea Stadium? Queens, Flushing, Queens. Okay, Flushing Queens. Flushing hey, I've been, Meadows. I've been in I've been in favor of Flushing Queens down a toilet for a long time now. Well, before you disparage anyone else here in my home area, we do have the card for the Survivor Series taking place in Brooklyn this Sunday. Uh, I'll go. Do you think Eddie Kingston's going to do a run-in, hop the rail, try to get arrested? Would that be fucking priceless? Kingston's been to jail before, I'm sure. He don't give a fuck. 
I'd like to see Eddie Kingston like he just come in off the street, hop that fucking rail and hit the ring and dare somebody to fucking take him down. That would get worldwide publicity. That wasn't on my list of things to expect, but who knows what will happen. Anything could happen in the WWE. I'm just saying, If here's the thing. If he's a great self-promoter, remember who did... Terry Funk, he had the idea to chain himself to the fucking goalpost at the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this is right up Kingston's alley. It's his people. They're in Brooklyn. Da bums. He could come in dressed like he just come off the fucking subway in Brooklyn or whatever that New York shit is you got up there. He's from Yonkers. Well, Yonkers, Brooklyn, it's, a, it's close. He's a working class man of the people in New York. He could hop that rail, hit the ring, and just say, here I am, somebody take me down. Of course, he'd probably pick his spot where he wouldn't do it in certain matches if, if Brock Lesnar was involved or somebody with that type of pedigree. But uh, if he had the right match, it could get interesting. And then they could haul him off to jail. He'd spend the night in jail. Kingston's a badass. Guys, you T-shirt to, you got, with the mugshot? Yes, sell the T-shirt with the mugshot. I survived the Survivor Series. You never know what. This could be a big fucking thing. Talk about taking a tank over to fucking WCW. <laughs> this could be a big fucking deal. And see, and it'd be part of their own medicine. He could say he's doing it in the name of Bruno. Yes. How, how dare you you insult the heritage of our Italian hero up here in New York? Well, here are the matches for this big event. Just, Eddie, just, hey, I'm telling you, this would be a big deal if you did this. I'm just me to you. So. Right, I'm going to say, Eddie, don't do it. Too many people are going <laughs> to think it's an angle because of the Enzo thing at MSG a couple of years ago. Well, it won't be an angle when they see him punching those cops in the face. He can't punch the cops. Punch the wrestlers is one thing. He's not going to be punching cops. Well, I guarantee you, Eddie'd get carried away. And and if, if he'll he get carried away, all right, right? The Rikers. <laughs> if he punched a cop in the face, the people would fucking hit the ring and help him. He'll be in the and tombs so fast. And now we get so some fast. people coming over the ring. <laughs> huh? No, he'll be in the tombs so fast. I don't think you could be slugging cops. There aren't too many wrestling angles I can think of ever where they just started beating up the police. Stick the bruiser in Madison Square Garden, 1957. The riot with Dr. Jerry Graham. The, the eyewitness testimony it made front page of the newspaper said that everybody got in the ring, whether it was fans or police, either one. Dick the bruiser would toss him right back out. Not an angle, an actual riot where people were afraid they were going to yeah. die. Yes. Well, that's what Kingston's <laughs> going to cause a riot, by God. All right, well... Hope Eddie appreciates this fantasy booking here, Jim. <laughs> What's the card? Here is the card for the Survivor Series. For the, oh, I guess champion versus champion. The United States champion, Damian Priest, versus the intercontinental champion, Shinsuke Nakamura with Rick Boogs. Oh, boy. Um... A lot of people are going to say, well, you guys haven't even been watching the WWE TV shows. Well, that's because they've been so boring and they suck so bad. Uh, So we're not going to pretend that we're going to do an in-depth dissertation on the backstories of these matches or the angles or whatever. Just do we want to see this match or not? And the answer is anything involving Booger, I'm going to skip. I love Damian Priest, but it's just it. And, and, Oh, shaky, shaky Nakamura. They do have some type of medication that prevents those convulsions that he goes through. I wish they'd get his medicine uh, uh, somehow straightened out, but 
Do you give a shit? Do you give a shit? Damian no. Priest, who should be a top superstar, he's got the size, he's got the talk, he's got the attitude. He's from what we saw of him, he can handle his end on the work, and he's diddling around with Shinsuke and Booger. I have been a big Shinsuke fan when he was in New Japan, but at this point, I don't want to see him anymore in WWE, so I agree. I kind of don't want to see that match. He looks like the heel henchman in a Raymond Chow Golden Harvest Kung Fu flick from 1973. I'm a big Shaw Brothers fan myself, but let's get to the next match here. RK Bro, Randy Orton and Riddle, the <laughs> Raw Tag Team Champions. Uh, uh. Versus the Usos, Jimmy and Jay, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. So it's all title versus title from the various champions from the various fields. Um, I mean, you know, we've said the Usos are an okay tag team. I've, I honestly, as far as their work, to be quite frank, I think that the their predecessors in the family, the Samoan SWAT team, Samu and Fatu, their work was better because it was more believable. They had better size and seemed to make a little bit more sense, even though they were hard to work with because you had to have their match with them. And especially when the Midnight Express were baby faces and trying to have the Samoans match, it was brutal because uh, you had to have their match. But the Usos as flunkies for Roman Reigns, I've been okay with, but I haven't seen a lot of their tag team matches tear the house down. And having said that, I wish, it, it, could we start a GoFundMe where Randy Orton will just turn to the idiot standing next to him and turn him upside down and drop him on his head over and over until all the birds fly out of his ass? I believe we recently discovered they were ass pigeons. Yes. I want Randy Orton to turn on Riddle and drop him on his head repeatedly until all the ass pigeons have flung themselves from his sphincter. Well, let's see what else Vince McMahon has flung from his sphincter. The next match on this show, champion versus champion, the WWE champion, Big E versus the universal champion, Roman Reigns with oh. Paul Heyman. Oh, boy. Um, I mean, this will be good because Big E's a good athlete. Big E is, is not a, a outlaw mud show piece of shit. It's just that he came out of nowhere. Suddenly this guy who's been presented as the, you know, rainbows, lollipops and unicorns, new day fellow suddenly is in the middle in between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. And I thought it was abrupt. Um, it ain't going to sell that many tickets and it ain't going to set the world on fire. It probably won't suck. And Heyman will have a, chance in putting it together uh, not a chance but a a part in putting it together and obviously roman reigns gonna win we didn't even predict finishes for the first two matches because why who cares but in this one i think it's <laughs> you can bet the farm on reigns i would imagine the next match once again champion versus champion oh jesus used to be a hot commodity those matches Becky Lynch, the Raw Women's <laughs> Champion, versus Charlotte Flair, the SmackDown Women's Champion. I am predicting that they are going to be professional with, with emphasis. They're going to have their match, but there may be a few 
or maybe several, or maybe a lot of instances where they're going to be performing their moves with extra emphasis. Um, and I think Becky Lynch is going to win this. I almost, I, I can't imagine how it could go any other way or elsewise the, there would be, instead of peace in the Valley, there'd be heat in the locker room. There will be heat, heat in the locker room for Charlotte. Oh Lord, I pray. All right. Well, the heat is on with, of course, the Survivor Series. The heat is on. It's on the street. I don't know the words. Oh, Another word. Glenn Fry took the easy way out. Here's the next match. Team Raw. And another. Okay. Anyway. Team Raw. Will you stop it? And another. A five-on-five women's Survivor Series elimination match. Stop right there before you go any further. I ain't going to watch it. Oh, come on. You have to. Oh, who's in it? Team Raw, comprised of Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley. Okay. Liv Morgan, Uh, Carmella, uh, and Queen Zelina uh, will be battling Team SmackDown. Comprised of Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, who apparently has no last name any longer, <laughs> Natalia, who's never been allowed to use her last name, <laughs> and Tony Storm. Well, I, I like, uh, obviously, Rhea Ripley is a bonus on that first team, and after the first two, uh, the, the depth of that bench drops off a bit. The second team is a little bit more... Uh, spread uh, a little bit more evenly amongst the talent. Uh, so, all right. Is it elimination? Elimination. We got to go through at least five falls, if not more. Uh, Well, to get through the match, at least five falls, yes. Yes, yes. Ooh, all right. I never thought of it that way. Oh, man, at least yeah. five falls. Yeah, <laughs> I never yeah. thought of that. And that's before. if one team gets a clean sweep, and that don't happen often. So... It's good. It's gonna look like an I Love Lucy episode. Them trying to get all their their finishes in. Okay, you girl, you got twelve minutes. We need seven finishes. Well, of course, the WWE believes in equality. So, for the women that have a Survivor Series elimination match, the men need to as well. Oh boy, Team Raw, comprised of Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory. Whoa! Now, well, hold on. Let's just establish this here. I'm strange the way they've got them listed. You would think Lashley would have been listed first, but so we've got Seth Rollins. Yes. We've got an excellent worker. We got Finn Balor, excellent worker. We got Kevin Steen. He bluffs his way through things well. We've got uh, who'd you say before? Bobby Lashley. Uh, uh, Lashley, obviously. Lashley. Boom! There's a top guy. And Austin Theory mixing with the big boys. Who are their opponents now? Their opponents, making up the team of Team SmackDown, Drew McIntyre. Okay. Jeff Hardy. Mm. King Woods. Ooh. Should the king and queen have to have a relationship on camera? I mean, there's a queen and a king. 
Yeah, well, well, and that. What do you mean? Should they have relations on? Like, I don't do know. a sex video? I don't know. Like when Macho Man was the king, that's not what I. No one was thinking sex video except well, for you. You said they should. You can go watch the Queen's Alina King Wood sex video. I'll be over here fantasy booking. Oh wait a minute! I forgot he's already done one. Well, well then, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. There's, <laughs> but uh, no, no, back up. What? Think about this. He's yes. already done one. So it, but he wasn't the king yet, and she wasn't the queen. So now you're saying that the new king this should have what relations I was saying at all. This with the new scene on their television program, or at least be aligned together, the king and the queen, but to know each other in the biblical sense. Let me finish up this team, King all Woods. Right. Happy Corbin oh. with Madcap Moss and a to be announced. Oh, boy. So wait a minute. So let's back up again. We've got Drew McIntyre. He's been used as a top guy. He's, you know, big guy. It's, it's, I think once that they pushed him and then they, they beat him and it took the bloom off of that, but it ain't bad. Is a name or some star power there. And then the second name was... After Drew, Jeff Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Jeff is a name. Jeff has star power, but Jeff is beat up and, and a little bit older now. And I don't know that 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 first team, there's so many guys that can go there. Lashley, Austin Theory, Rollins, Balor. I'm not I'm not seeing this. This second team is not uh, adding up to who else was after that. The King King Woods. Again, as I mentioned, and I don't dislike this kid. He, I've met him, worked with him when he was in TNA, Consequences Creed, many years ago. But as I said at the time, at least now Mabel has all the heat off of him because they just decided to make Xavier Woods king of the ring out of nowhere when he's a tag team guy and then and a suddenly, boom. Anyway, um, all right. And then Happy Baron Corbin. Corbin. No. Happy Cor Happy. I'm sorry, Happy Corbin. They say ignorance is bliss, then he must be ecstatic. Uh, and, of course, Madcap will be along ringside. And then the final piece of this equation. To be announced. To be announced. I hope they're going to announce that they have reanimated Buddy Rogers back from the grave to make up for the deficiencies on the secondary team there. Me too, because he'll probably hold them up in the back. <laughs> either that or do a slip and fall <laughs> that's right sue everyone well there it is the that's wwe the, survivor that's series it? that's the whole show that's the whole fucking show you know what considering all the talent they're letting go and the amount of pay-per-views not tv but pay-per-views you and i have watched over the last year and a half it's the same talent over and over again it's boring that is the entire show six matches correct I'm not complaining about the number of matches. I'm complaining about the number of matches that actually interest me or anyone else for that matter. All righty then. You know what? That's Sunday night, right? This coming Sunday. Yes, it is. So we are going to report on this on the upcoming drive-through, which is your program. I've heard uh, that. Uh, at, the, at the first of the week, we'll have the report on what happened on Survivor Series. I'm thinking, and this is Sunday night, it's 8 o'clock Eastern when it starts out? I believe, uh, hold on, let me double check that. It may be 7 sometimes. Let me check. But I'm just, it's Sunday evening, 
and it sounds like it's going to be a long night, I think we're going to need to uh, call our friends at WSJ Wine. What do you think? Oh, can they rush deliver a case? That'd be wonderful. I bet you they can because they got the holiday top 12. You know, folks, we've been talking about the WSJ wine folks and how they choose and curate this great collection of wines from all over the globe. And the holidays are a celebration of togetherness. We'll get together with Survivor Series and a case of wine from WSJ wine and go through both the Survivor Series and the case all at the same time. The WSJ Wine Discovery Club brings award-winning wines right to your doorstep. And if the mailman has sampled them, he potentially will trip over your doorstep and dump the wine directly into your home. You can get direct access to these small batch, handcrafted wines that you need to try this holiday season. The uh, last family, as well as the Cornet family, got deliveries of one of these uh, boxes of wine. And they were wonderful, very well received. The holiday top 12 after WSJ Wine tastes over 40,000 wines each year. And boy, I'll tell you what, their wine taster, he's a happy son of a gun. Of course, he's been in a medically induced coma for the last three weeks after tasting 40,000 wines this past year. But he selects less than 1%, many of which are award winners. And each wine comes complete with tasting notes and food pairing tips so you can rate your wines, refine your selections, or just sit down with a pay-per-view and chug this stuff directly from the bottle. I would say a bottle to a bottle and a half per match. It will make the Survivor Series uh, more palatable. Folks, you can tell them what you like and what you didn't like. After you get your first box, you can even speak to a personal wine advisor so they can customize your next case i said box i should say case of wine this is not boxed wine no it's a case no, of wine. of course not it, it's a case it comes it comes in a big case and it's if it's actually the actual wine comes in ziploc bags so it's no it doesn't fresh. actual it wine bottles it comes in i can't it, fucking <laughs> David, buy this wine. It's great. They have wine advisors, including Kevin yes. Nash and Dixie Carter. There you go. You. Dave Brzezinski. There's a hundred percent. You don't have any hair on your balls if you edit that out. There's a hundred percent satisfaction <laughs> guarantee. If I use you Manscaped. Love, if you don't love a wine for any reason, except for early onset male pubic baldness, if you don't love a wine for any reason, you'll receive a refund and you receive a new dozen Bottles of wine from WSJ Wine's most talented winemakers every three months at about a bottle a week you can enjoy at your own pace. Or if your pace quickens because of the amount of WWE programming you have to watch, you can always buy more. Anyway, members save at least 20% on every case they choose to take while earning exclusive rewards and VIP upgrades. There's no obligation to continue the WSJ Wine Discovery Club offers the flexibility to delay delivery, skip a case, cancel any time. Possibly you can even go and stomp on their grapes in person. You, they'll, they'll just knock. They'll let you in. Folks, now you can try the WSJ Wine Holiday Top 12 Plus. Enjoy two bonus bottles. That's 14 bottles of wine and two wine glasses for $69.99 plus tax and shipping. All you got to do is text Jim. J-I-M to 64,000 to get this special offer. Text Jim 
to 64,000, and you're going to end up with the holiday top 12 from WSJ Wine, two bonus bottles, and two wine glasses, $69.99 plus tax and shipping. This stuff is cheaper than Ripple. Terms apply. Available at wsjwine.com slash terms. Well, I know somebody else that's either drinking too heavily or not on his medication. And you apprised me of this right before we went on the air today that I was not aware of it, but Uncle Dave uh, has issued his star ratings for the full gear pay-per-view matches. And you told me something that I was gobsmacked by, and I want you to tell the listeners how Uncle Dave rated the three best matches and in what order on that pay-per-view. Well, I have the ratings for all of the matches because I think you kind of have to see this as an entire. Well, you got you got to see the the pattern, the pattern yeah, developing. That's right. Do you want to go from worst to best so that it it builds? Well, yeah, you know, let's do that. That may be the best way to do it. According to Uncle Dave Meltzer, the worst match by his rating to the best match is is, is and and we'll see a pattern develop. Well, as he would put it, the least good match. The least good match. Start with that, and then we'll go to the most good match, in his view. Britt Baker and Ty Conti received three and, a, three and a half stars. Three and a half stars. So the absolute worst match on the show was three and a half stars. Three and a half stars. Okay. The next match, I guess, would be four stars, and that was for the Inner Circle versus America's top team, Minneapolis Street Fight, a four-star street fight. So two of the guys in the match were having, if not their very first, well, maybe Junior Dos Santos, was that his second match? And I think so. Has Arlovsky had one? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, so, and Lambert. So we had... On it was a ten man tag where three of the five participants on one team were either in their very first or second professional wrestling match ever, with all the garbage and the weapons and the lack of logic and sense, and that got the same rating as Flair and Steamboat, Austin and Bret Hart, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. I could go on. Well, it's about what a match means to its time and the room also. Obviously, Tiger Mine and Tiger Mite. Obviously, Tiger Mask and Dynamite. <laughs> you know, that's been a great mascot for him. Ti- Tiger, Tiger Mite. Here comes Tiger Mask with Tiger Mite. <laughs> His little dwarf mascot, Tiger Mite. Well, anyway, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid didn't mean as much then as obviously the Inner Circle versus America's what? Top Wait, Team does. What? They're still being watched today, and it was one of the most influential series of matches in the lighter weight category in professional wrestling, but it didn't mean as much. In a sold-out building in, in Tokyo, that didn't mean as much as the Inner Circle and American Top Team in a street fight. Jim, we have two matches that both received the coveted four-and-a-quarter star ratings. Coveted. Coveted. They are both tag team matches. Mm-hmm. FTR versus the Lucha Brothers, four and a quarter stars. And we mentioned if you want to see FTR's brilliance on full display, keep them out of the ring with the Luchadors because it's a complete bipolar clash of styles. With a 
finish that was botched because one of the people involved in it didn't know what planet he was on, and it probably wasn't a good idea to begin with. But that got a, a higher rating than, well, just going back to Dave's soft spot, than almost every tag team tournament match in all Japan history. Well, the other tag team match that received four and a quarter stars was Cody Rhodes and Pack versus Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. Ooh. We watched it. <laughs> we did. We did. Was that better than I'm trying to think of other famous four star matches in history? And there's, was that better than any of them? No. No. Okay. Well, the next match, I guess we have to go to four and a half stars. There are one, two, two matches that were, oh no, three matches that received four and a half stars. Okay. Four and a half stars for Brian Danielson versus Miro. Again, we said, what, what did I, where did I rank that? I said behind. MJF and Darby as a match and Punk and Kingston as a fight. Yes. I thought that Danielson and Miro was the next best thing on the program. I still don't know whether I would say that it's better than every WrestleMania main event ever, than every Starcade World Championship match. Was it better than Flair and Wyndham at Battle of the Belts? No. Okay. No. Also, receiving four and a half stars, CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. And you you almost, you really can't argue with praising that in any way, shape, or form, except, you know, when you, he's starting to break the scale anyway, but I can't argue. It's, it was certainly better than everything that he's listed so far. So on this scale, I guess that works. But wait, then then did MJF and Darby get the five stars then? Because that's the only thing that was better. The other match that received four and a half stars, MJF versus Darby Allen. <sighs> All right. And we'll talk about this in a moment, because I think to put it in proper context, let's list the other two matches. The Super Click, comprised <laughs> of the Young Bucks and Adam Cole, versus the Jurassic Express and Christian Cage in... It was false count anywhere or something? Five star match. <laughs> I don't even know anyone in the building who would have said that was a five star match. But anyway, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page, the big title change. Yeah, five and a half stars. Oh, <laughs> so even the when MJF and Darby Allen go out there and do everything that all the modern wrestling fans want they had action they innovated moves they took the people on a ride while still satisfying the old wrestling fans who want some believability and some credibility and want the work to look good and want the rules to be followed where it doesn't make the referee look like an idiot and the whole thing look like a bogus batch of bullshit and he gets four and a half, they get four and a half stars. But his, so his friends won't be upset at him. He gives the six man mess five stars that, as you said, nobody in the building was even screaming at. And just to make sure 
that he doesn't contradict the 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 narrative that Twinkle Toes is the world's greatest living wrestling artist. He has to get a half a star above that. He has a nice world title change, and Hangman Page is over. That match was not better than anything that Ric Flair or Terry Funk or Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart or fucking anybody else that you could name as a major talent in the wrestling business over the past 40 years has ever perpetrated. That's ridiculous. Or Tiger Mask, or the Dynamite Kid, or all of the Japanese uh, All Japan 90s tournament matches, or the, the Four Pillows of All Japan, or anybody ever. It wasn't better than anything ever. What the fuck? How can anybody take him seriously anymore? I gave up on defending Dave a while ago. I've completely given up on it. And I think this is kind of one of those things that people talk about and one of those things that it's it's embarrassing, I think. Because um, people know what this really is. A lot, Enough people know what this really is. And I think the other thing is, for someone who labeled you as out of touch for such a long time, and remember, he told me, I forget what it was, I should get a time machine and go back to 1985. A reminder, I was five years old then, but whatever. I guess if I was in a time machine, it would be me now then, so that would work out just fine. Hey, you could make money in the stock market. You know what? That's a great idea. But I was going to say, the point is, I think he's right to an extent. You and me and other people who think like you are completely out of touch with the Young Bucks and Omegas and the style of comedy they like. And what they do in their matches, the makeup of their matches and their promos, I'm completely out of touch with that. And you are too. But I think the issue is Dave's completely out of touch with everyone who's not them, who's younger. Because to a man, everyone knows MJF Darby was the best match on that show. And quite frankly, I think, and time will tell, but I'll put money on this. Five years, seven years, whatever it may be, the kids who are getting involved in the business, they're going to cite that match. MJF Darby. It's one of those matches. That's Brett and Perfect. You know, it's like one of those matches that people are going to go, wow, I saw that, and I wanted to do that. You talk to anyone in the building, it was the best match. Look, there's an argument for Page and Omega, because at least it has a story of some sort involved. No one was saying the Young Bucks. That match came out of nowhere to have five stars. <laughs> Nobody was saying that. And again, all. we're supposed to like the young guys that are coming up, that are outperforming and 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 you know, overreaching and innovating and et cetera. So if you're talking about grading for the room, then that type of crowd expects Twinkle Toes' match to be great. And they suffer the presence of the Hardly Boys and they indulge them in whatever it is they do. But clearly, even in front of that crowd, MJF and Darby Allen was the highlight of the night. and. Dave cannot at least give them that in their moment. They earned it. They went out and exceeded expectations and outperformed even what people might have thought they would and stole the show. And in a rare occasion for AEW, it wasn't even petty theft. And he still can't recognize that. He's got to try to influence people that, it's, well, the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes were still better because of his bogus grading system. 
But that's what it is. All the times that he said you were out of touch and me or anyone that agrees with us is out of touch, he's right. We're out of touch with that young buck shit. And more than likely, I'm going to stay out of touch with that. But I'm telling you, man, Dave's a bit out of touch with everyone in wrestling who's younger than that because I don't think he sees what's really going on right now. And giving that Young Bucks match five stars, I mean, that's... Unless Dave did it for attention, that's sad. That's really sad. It also, it influences people who want to be wrestlers to think, okay, well, that's that means that that's a great match doing all that shit they did, so I'm going to do more of that. And then you get more shitty wrestlers. Mm. At some point, you got to stop being the Bucks Protection Agency. <laughs> like, fuck. The, the BPA. Fuck, every time the Lepton twins have their feelings hurt, here's Dave with a fucking <laughs> five-star review. What the fuck? <laughs> that match with the fucking Jurassic Express and Christian? Five stars? <laughs> what? But you know now they are from California and they're 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 brothers. Maybe they they're the Menendezes. No, no. Except 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 their their murder is of the wrestling business. Yeah, I don't know. But just it's it's sad. This is just sad. <laughs> this is so out of touch with everyone. What everyone saw in that pay per view. It's insane. But no, I, I I can't defend Dave anymore, and I'm not going to defend Dave anymore. I after everything I witnessed with you and him, and the way that was twisted, and then. Just one thing after another, I can't defend any of those. It's it just, at least make it look good. At <laughs> least make it look good. <laughs> yeah, really. Every once in a while, have them do the job by half of a star, just so that you can point to that. Make it look good. Anyway, wh- who are you going to uh, rate highly on your various programming this week? I'm not sure who's going to look good this week, but find out on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network and information about all shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. The latest episode, or I should say two episodes of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam out right now, where John reviews Starcade 86, including an infamous scaffold match <sighs> 35 years ago. How does it feel? We haven't really talked about the idea there's an anniversary right now of the scaffold match. Shit, you know, I, I it's it's coming up. It's coming up anytime. I hadn't I guess uh I usually know when the anniversary of the scaffold matches is coming up when the weather turns cold and my arthritis starts kicking in. That's how I know. All right, we'll hear more about the scaffold match and <laughs> Starcade 86 and more. Stick to wrestling with John McAdam at McAdamPod.com or search for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcast. Also want to make a little bit of an announcement. Some of you may have seen this on social media. Very happy to say that after a critically acclaimed appearance on the 605 Super Podcast, Brian Solomon will be launching a new show with Arcadian Vanguard. Stay tuned for more information. We're working on it now. It's in development, and we are all very excited about it. What's the name of it? The Wisdom of Solomon? Shut up and wrestle. Well, all right. Well, fuck, you don't need to get hot. I, I thought I'm, we were going to finish this I'm show I'm just first. telling you, you the name. Shut up? No, I'm telling you the name of the show. What's the name of the show? Shut up and wrestle. Hey, now, goddammit. If you don't want to tell me the name of the show, just let me know, but you don't have to be rude. Right. Well, I won't say it a third time. I've heard Beetlejuice will show up, but you can get more information about that on social media. More news to come, more announcements in the coming weeks. Also, the Mid Atlantic Championship podcast with Mike Semperhivi and Roman Gomez. Check out the latest episode right now at midatlanticpod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. A wonderful review of Mid Atlantic Wrestling. 
Go back and revisit your favorite Mid-Atlantic memories, as well as discover some things you never heard before on the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. I've heard all kinds of things on this show I've never heard before. We'll see how much of it makes the air, but of course, yeah. the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Sometimes you know exactly how I'm feeling. Of course, go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. New episodes in production right now. Stay tuned for more information here on this show, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. Is Roman Gomez from Pepper's first or second marriage? <laughs> you know, that's funny. I wish I would have used that before you had a chance to. <laughs> well. I'll be glad. If you want to send me a check, you can edit it off this show and take it over. Do you accept crypto? Um, no. Oh. I only I don't accept any cryptic currency. What's well, not cryptic? It certainly is. Have you seen the way it bops up and down? You never know what you're dealing with. You, you need to invest in in things like WSJ wine. That stuff appreciates in value. Well, speaking of things that bop up and down, did you watch AEW Dynamite this week? Boy, that was bopping up and down. Um, we need to get this television program some bipolar medication because they have gone as far as they can go with the the polar extremes. They are at the North Pole in one segment, the South Pole in the next segment. This was, at various points, again, one of the most exciting and brilliantly done television programs and one of the biggest pieces of outlaw mud show shit that I've ever seen in my life. But at least beforehand, and especially over the first year, and it was somewhat uh, halting in the second year, it was usually just crummy. Now we're getting brilliance in there somewhere, which is good, but then it makes it somewhat more frustrating when they you know, flip the fucking thing on its end after they come back from the commercial break and there's shit that wouldn't make cable access if the billionaire owner wasn't a fan. So I don't know what to think, but they started out the first 30 minutes of this show this past Wednesday night, which was November 17th, was the best 30 minutes of television I think they may have done yet. Um. Well, you know, it's hard. The only thing I'm going to say is I I'm not disagreeing with you about how strong and how great the first 30 minutes, give or take, were. I don't I didn't time everything out. But there's another segment on the show that was just as good as anything here, I thought. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean they're going back and forth. Yeah. You know, it and you never know what you're gonna get. Uh, maybe that's a marketing strategy. Stay tuned through the commercial break. It could be the greatest thing you've ever seen, or it could be so fucking rotten you'll laugh your ass off. You'll either really want to see it or really want to call someone to tell them what you just saw. Yes. Uh, they were in Norfolk, Virginia. They were not in, if they were in the scope, then it's been renamed. I, I didn't write down the name of the arena, but it's not the, the Norfolk scope, the traditional wrestling building in, in town, or maybe it's just been renamed, but it didn't seem, it didn't look like it. It wasn't a round building. Uh, but the Norfolk is not only the biggest city in the state of Virginia, it's, Jim Crockett Promotions territory. It's Adam Page's home state. The fans were hot. They like wrestling down there. They had the big building. It looked nice, etc. I it, honestly, I was kind of upset that they broke that momentum to go to the 
poorly lit pre-taped with twinkle toes the hardly boys and adam cole in the back in a stairway because that kind of <laughs> you know they came up with the hot crowd and the big building and the lights and a bum boom and then then they go to a pre-tape that we are now apparently led to believe that Brandon Cutlett shoots all of their interviews on video, which may be why they look so unprofessionally done. But they lost a little momentum when they went to that, but at least it wasn't too long. And there was Twinkle Toes with his mopey face. And the Elite lost the night at full gear, and he's very upset about this, and morose even. As a matter of fact, I wrote a quote. He said, Quite frankly, I'm disgusted. Does another human being that you know on the planet Earth, would would they use the phrase out loud when talking to their friends about how they just got their asses kicked? Quite frankly, I'm disgusted. Well, again, this is his performance. It's not the way he would do things in real life or any other normal human being would do things in real life. Well, anyway, so Twinkle Toes says he's got to fix and change some things. This is the illusion not illusion as in magic trick, but illusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, the allusion to what people now know that he's going to take time off to have surgery to fix an injury or injuries. Multiple injuries. Multiple injuries. And I don't know what his recuperation time is, but I'm going to enjoy the vacation while it lasts. Uh, but anyway, he is telling... The team there, I need somebody to hold the fort down while I'm gone. And immediately Cole jumps in and says, I got it, Kenny. And, and he said, well, no, actually, I was I was talking to the Bucks. And then, of course, Pie Face has to overact and say, well, he's talking. We'll all take care of it, you know. Uh, but uh, so already they're teasing the dissension that as soon as they get Harpo out of there, that Adam Cole is going to try to take over. And that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Because the only conceivable way that I can think of that they can make use of the fucking delinquent Hardly Boys and their super click or their click is when they get Olivier out of there for a little while, Adam Cole starts wanting to do, run things more and more his way, brings Bobby, he's already got Bobby Fish involved, now hopefully O'Reilly will be next something can go on here it could make it could justify the existence of the hardly boys on this roster because and i hate despise the thought of kenny olivier breathing air in a wrestling ring he doesn't deserve it uh he doesn't deserve a career in wrestling he should never be booked by anybody after the bullshit that he's done but i understand that people like him he looks okay physically there's some use for him the only reason the Hardly Boys are any, anywhere around that company is because the billionaire boss was hoodwinked that they're capable, over-talented, whatever, and they're becoming more and more irrelevant as they get new and better talent to come in, and as people see that after two years, every Young Bucks match is going to be the same fucking thing. You might as well watch the same tape over and over because they don't know how to do anything else. No, you're but wrong. It, the psychology is so deep, you can't oh get it. Christ. It's just so next level. The psychology. They tease moves and then they pay off on that move years later. You're out of touch and you don't pay attention to what's really happening. But it's so deep and intricate. Yeah. I don't know why you don't get it. 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Point is, I could get it. It would justify their existence if we could have the undisputed era against the clique. Then it would justify the Hardly Boys being there. Otherwise, <laughs> so anyway, hopefully they're doing that. But nevertheless, we get to the business. That was a pre-tape. The dork order was in the ring en masse. All of them to host Adam Page's celebration of winning the world championship and of course to come up on a ring like that in a big building like that and see those stooges standing there it looks minor league but they needed flunkies so i'm willing to let that pass and they had a big adam page entrance and the people love his ass and it looked like the 90s as far as signs it really did have have you seen that many signs especially for one guy in any one place here lately. There were a lot of signs. I didn't really think about it in that context, but certainly a lot of signs. There were a lot of them, and most of them were for Paige. So that's good. And he cut the promo in the ring, standing in front of, not in the middle of, but he was featured out in front of the jobbers. He's got personality. He's well-spoken. He has a baby face delivery and a great smile and look on his face. Uh, he's finally acting like he's somebody. And this is what they needed all along. I'm sorry. It's bullshit about this. Oh, the reason why they like him now is because he was conflicted and he lost his confidence like all of us do. And then he drank, but he found some friends to take place of his other friend. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. If he had come out Two years ago when he came out, they liked him. They cheered for him. They loved him. They wanted to see him be the champion, right? If he had spoken intelligently and seriously and only associated with top-level main event guys during all this period of time, they'd still like him just as much, if not more, because they liked him to begin with. <clears throat> and they wanted to see him win the title. And all the taking jobbers for ice cream and being a not even believable. That's another thing. People talk about this long-term story. Well, the long-term story was bullshit. Nobody believed it. Because nobody does run-ins with a fucking whiskey in their hand, even if they are fucking drunk. It wasn't believable. And they had him wasting his promo talent trying to tell this convoluted bullshit story. And they had him associating with irrelevant minor personalities, which main event guys don't normally do or shouldn't. So it's not like that story has gotten him over here. That story for the past two years has gotten in the way of what people wanted to see to begin with, which was him win the fucking belt. But anyway, people now, wanted cowboy shit before the whole drunken, sad cowboy thing. They yes. were ready for that. They were yeah. ready for what they're cheering for now, two years ago. That's why they were chanting it. But now he's acted like he's somebody. And that's good. And he mentions that now, of course, next, because he's won the tournament for the shot of the title, Brian Danielson, as soon as he his name left Paige's lips, the music hits. And JR says, interesting timing. Can they let it breathe for 15 seconds? There's not a lot of difference between, and next is Brian Danielson, music, 
And next is Brian Danielson, and he's been a champion all over the world, but I guarantee you he's never faced a man with my determination or resolve and music. 15 seconds, but it doesn't just let it breathe for fuck's sake. He almost jumped the gun. The music came out almost before he said the fucking name. Anyway, but having said that, Danielson comes down the ramp clapping like a smart ass already. He said, congratulations. They thought he was going to knock him, but he said, congratulations, and shakes his hand. And then starts a seamless, brilliant heel turn by just being a smartass. And he says, he, if Danielson says he's excited for the match, but he's surprised and disappointed that it's not old Twinkle Toes. And Paige has, well, I beat him, and it was in less than 30 minutes playing on the time limit draw. And, I mean, Danielson was, he's not acting like a heel. He's still kind of the smiling guy and the, you know, the aw shucks Brian Danielson, but he's saying some great shit. He's not going to be a guy that dresses like a Ghostbuster on Halloween, making fun of dipshit. He was, he was kind of channeling Andy Kaufman there. Of course, Virginia Boo's hard work. And that that type of thing. And basically, by the time that this finished, the people were booing the fuck out of Brian Danielson, who just served the second course at the Last Supper last week, right? It, it Even to Danielson, Paige offering him the match and Danielson declining it, well, because Paige isn't dressed. I don't want to beat him and Page's excuse is he wasn't ready. Or how about the line before that? To me, the line that really shifted the whole tone of the thing was when he said, when I won the title at WrestleMania, I defended yeah. the belt the next night. Yeah. <laughs> that was the line that was like, oh, shit, this is something here. Yeah. And the people just started getting on him. And then they went head to head and started shoving each other. And that's where they needed the flunkies because the dork order had to be the one to separate everybody. But they were both allegedly baby faces, so they didn't, you know, expect to get in a fight. But anyway, they they get in the middle of them, and then Danielson says, they know I'd kick his ass. They won't let him go. And they did let him go. And Paige tackles Danielson, and Danielson bails. It, it was brilliant. You got to go out of your way, as the kids say, to see this thing. Because Danielson was fucking great. And Paige, again, now that he has something you know, uh, professional to do, he's he's fine. The only thing I didn't like about this was now Danielson's going to have a match against Pizzeria Uno, and I've got to watch a pleather-clad potato to see <laughs> heel Brian Danielson. But they have, they start the match, and thank God this wasn't one of those deals where, okay, now we're going to try to make it look like Uno knows what he's doing. Because it, it did, they, as soon as they locked up, the first time Uno shoot, shot Danielson off out of a headlock, he can't even shoot a guy off out of a headlock. He just like he shrugged his head, didn't even take a step. But Danielson more or less put himself in position for Fatso to do a few things at the start and then mostly started kicking the shit out of him. And to the point where now the people were ch on the yes kicks, the people were chanting no. They picked up on it that quick and they were booing his, they've actually got a heel. This is brilliant. 
Because remember, I said everybody is a baby face. Everybody in their title tournament, every almost every featured person of any name, value, star power, whatever, they have gotten a position where they just had no person of conflict. So now this is this is brilliant. Anyway, I loved watching Danielson slap this fucking goof around. Uh, he gave him a comeback, and Uno, for his part, managed not to fall out of the ring on it. And then Danielson hit the flying knee and stomped Lardass's head in and went to the triangle sleeper. And the only thing, somebody needs to tell Aubrey, just take a breath, cowgirl. Danielson was putting the hold on and was ready to lean back, and Aubrey called it. Did you see that? It was yeah, like instant. It was quick. It was very quick, yeah. And then, of course, he took his time in letting go, but you you can't call it that uh, again. Three seconds, four seconds would have made a difference. Danielson didn't even lean back to crank it. But then, so that was shortened to the point, got the point across the finish that needed to be done. And then Shivani gets back in the ring and Brian's going to talk again. I'll take this for the whole show. He's the hottest heel in AEW in 15 minutes. And he cuts the promo saying he's going to kick every member of the Dork Order's heads in because. Page likes him or whatever, however he phrased it. And next week in Chicago, if you've got any nuts, Colt Cabana. So that's perfect. He's they finally found a use for Colt Cabana. How long's it been? A year and a half, two years since he's been on this television program, since they started. Um, it's been two years since he's actually wrestled, has it not? It's he's wrestled more than that, but not on the television off. program. It's been quite a while. Maybe there was an eight-man or a ten-man with the Young Bucks. I remember seeing him. In. Well, the point is it took them this long, but finally they found a use for Colt to get his ass kicked by their new hot heel in his hometown. So I'm looking forward to that. What do you think of all of this malarkey? You know, I wasn't crazy about Paige on the mic early, and then Danielson came out and everything kind of clicked perfectly. I've been saying the last few weeks that Danielson's been wrestling like a heel, and I've been saying next I thought Danielson was about to turn heel for two reasons. One, he was wrestling like a heel, and two, the whole reason he's in AEW is to have fun, and he's going to have a fucking ball. <laughs> Go watch <laughs> the smile on his face when he was yelling at that Virginia crowd. He's going to have a great time as a heel. I thought he was dynamic on the mic, and you see the difference here between WWE Daniel Bryan and a Brian Danielson allowed to do improv. Yeah. And allowed to feel the room and allowed to react. WWE wouldn't allow him to say, you know, I and I won the title at full gear. I was there the next day. But he said WrestleMania here, and it made sense. Yeah. Because it made people, people know he won the fucking title at WrestleMania. And it, it was great. And for that crowd, they hate the idea that someone was on a WWE show. As good as all that was, and I loved it. And the Uno match was fine for what it was. To me, it was more, he shouldn't have had as much offense and as much of a comeback. And to me, it's not even about him being Pizzeria Uno. It's about the fact that after that angle and the way he's wrestling and that promo afterwards, which I loved, he should have just kicked ass and mowed yeah. right through him. Especially if he's going to be going through different Dark Order people every week. He should have mowed through the first one. And I thought the promo afterwards was... Fantastic. Look in his eyes. This is a guy about to have the greatest time. 
Oh my god, and it's it's again. They've they've turned over all these people to the opposition. It's like it's like Custer telling the Indians, "Wait, stop! You don't have enough people. This ain't fair. Let me give you some of mine." Anyway, we followed that with an MJF pre-tape, and I was trepidatious about this because I thought I wanted to see him live, but we will later. But this was a pre-tape that apparently was shot after the Darby Allen match. He's sweating. He's still in his gear. He's covered, as he said, in Darby's shame, not his face paint. This was, I don't know if it was two minutes or three, but whatever it was, I don't know how long it was, but it was a Roddy Piper promo. It was flawed. The emotion the venom dripping from the words that he said about people he don't like, and he's proved everybody wrong, and he beat Darby Allen with a headlock takeover, and blah, blah, blah. What a fucking heel. This was just, I'm surprised he didn't have a brain aneurysm doing this promo, but it was fucking great. And that's where I wrote at that point, this show is past 30 minutes in, and the only thing I fast-forwarded were the commercials, which is almost unheard of for me. It was a great episode up to this point. And like I said, there's still good stuff to come. This promo was excellent. And one of the things that I think made it stand out was it was different than every MJF promo we've ever seen. You know, we see him in the ring composed. We see him yeah. with great material. We see him able to play off the room. We never see, you know, for someone who everyone always compares to Piper, we never see that crazed promo after a match. Of course, we don't see that many matches, but we never see that crazy <laughs> promo after a match. And it was a very different MJF. I mean, I think probably in terms of preparation or any, if there was any preparation, very different MJF. And I thought it was a dynamic promo. I hope we see more of that. Yeah, because your your blood's pumping and the adrenaline's flowing and et cetera when you're in a situation like that. So it's, you know, you've got that advantage, but it's just a different way rather than MJF, like you said, coming out and always being the, you know, composed and, you know, being snotty with people, but being in control there, he's in control, but he's triumphant. And it's just, it was an extra gear. Yeah. It was the kind of things you would have seen, like, you know, in the territories, uh, you know, even like yeah. in the eighties when, you know, well, at the house show this week, this happened, let's go to a locker room promo. You may not even see the match. You'll see the celebration in the locker room and the guys covered in sweat do a promo. It will never be over <laughs> until your body is broken and bleeding, Ole Anderson. It will never be over. That type of thing. Anyway, so. The best lines is still, uh, who was it? Was it Walter Johnson? Who was it at the beginning? Or maybe Ernie Holmes? I forget who it was. But it was Ernie Holmes, I think. Ernie Holmes is walking away and he just goes, you'll get yours, Ole Anderson. And he yeah. goes, not from you. Yeah. <laughs> not from you. It won't be you that does it. Oh, but it, and still the parade of greatness continues because Tony Schiavone was in the back and with Eddie Kingston and right again, as Kingston starts to talk, as happens in all the promos, but at least he made fun of it afterwards. Here comes Danny Garcia, not the Rock's Daniel. ex-wife, Daniel, Daniel Garcia. Da well, Danny to his friends. We don't know that. Could be Dan to his friends. All right, here comes Dandy Dan Garcia and 2.0, the tag team, and he Garcia and Kingston go head-to-head, -head and there's a challenge, 
asked and answered. And so we're going to see that match. And then Kingston just turns as the heels walk off. And one time, I'm begging you, just one promo, not interrupted. Well, as soon as that, they came out there, he started going every time, every yeah, time, every time, every time. <laughs> because, and then he said, I'm going to catering. You have to do that. You have to do that because it's, it's a joke at this point that every promo is, is interrupted almost before the subject of the promo even utters a word. So it is a rib at this point. So you've got to recognize it. And that was great. And people will, it just adds a little bit more of him that, well, Kingston's real. He'll, he'll say shit. He won't fucking, you know, just act like this is normal. So that, that segment was great. They had a real run going on here. And then guess what happened? The butcher is back. How come when the butcher goes on tour with his band, whoever they may be, um, he can't wrestle, but, Fozzie can operate. We can't get rid of Jericho. What do you think the difference is? Because certainly to God, whatever band this the Butcher is in can't be more well-known than Fozzie. No, but I think the Butcher probably has, uh, I don't know, dignity? <laughs> or maybe just a necessity to go and do his day job. Yeah. Uh, but we had the Butcher and the Blade back together after long last with the Bunny and Matt Hardy in their corner against the tag team of Pockets and Tomohiro Ishii. You were so close. You almost had it exactly right. And they had Rocky Romero and the rest of the Puddin' Gang in their corner. <laughs> Oh, it was, Ch it was Chucklefuck Taylor and Chris Flatlander and Wheeler UD and the Puddin' Gang. So, did they have to play, pay, play? Did they have to pay for the Japanese fellow's plane ticket all the way over here and they stick him in partners with pockets? So, I, they, uh, let me just jump in before you say anything else because I know you don't really follow modern Japanese wrestling. But a few years ago, when I started really watching a lot of stuff again, Tomohiro Ishii became one of my favorite guys there. There's a match he had with Shinsuke Nakamura on the same show with the match of the year, AJ Styles versus Suzuki. The better match on that show is Tomohiro Ishii versus Shinsuke Nakamura, one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. He's a smaller guy. He's uh -huh. stiff. He works hard. They put him in the stupidest possible situation if you're going to have this guy on your TV show to the point where if you've never seen this guy before, uh -huh. I don't think he looked that impressive. And uh -huh. if you and if, even if you have seen him before, like, let's say me, uh -huh. why the fuck is this the match they put him in? <laughs> so before you rip on anything, let me just say, I've been a fan of his. I think he's great. I think they're out of their fucking minds for using him like this. I'll ask you a question. Did this match suck pond water? To me, it did. Yeah. Okay. They followed the best 30-something minutes of television they've ever done with bad comedy and outlaw talent. And Tomohiro Ishii looks like Killer Khan if he was five foot two. <laughs> he made Tojo Yamamoto look like he could play in the NBA. Oh, come on. <laughs> is, I'm wondering, is Tomohiro Ishii, is he really Uno without the mask and the bodysuit? Oh, stop it. Now you're being crazy. Come on. He's a very talented professional wrestler. Well, this match started with Pockets 
rolling around with his hands in his pockets, playing pocket pool as he normally does. And then Tojo got in. I'm sorry, it's not Tojo Yamamoto. It's Tomohiro Ishii. He got in and, and did whatever the fuck he did. And I started fast forwarding and it seemed to go forever on speed search. And that's what I was, every time that I would stop and look at something that he or any else uh, anybody else was doing, it looked rotten. What happened? I don't care. Defend it to me, if you will. Anything. I'm not going to defend it to positive. you. I'm not going to defend it to you. A complete waste of Tomohiro Ishii. And again, I don't Ishii. expect him to have the matches here that he had in New Japan, but put him in there with a capable opponent and let him do something. I thought he looked awful to anyone who's never seen him before. I'm forgiving because I've seen him before. How how come it is all these people that you've seen before that you think are great, and then when I watch them, they suck shit, and then you say, well, that, that, you're right, that did suck shit, but they used to be good. Look, it sucks shit. He was teaming with Orange Cassidy against the Matt Hardy tag team. I'm not going to blame Ishii out of all the problems in that match. I, did, I didn't Tomo see Tomohiro Ishii is the least. I didn't see him out there looking like fucking Tiger Mask or goddamn Fujinami or anybody. There were certain people on that Even roster. Kuniaki Kobayashi. I like Kobayashi. Actually, I think Kobayashi, Kobayashi Tiger Mask is almost as good as some of those Dynamite Kid matches if people really want to evaluate it on just the quality of the match. Not and, the nobody, and does anybody today even recognize Kobayashi? Kuniaki Kobayashi, folks. Like Brian said, it was almost as good as Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. Kid Kobe. He was a badass. Nobody says anything about him anymore. You're you're taking up for Tomohiro Ishii. I am, and Kuniaki Kobayashi. But what I was going to say is, look, I get Orange Cassidy. Tony likes him. He moves merch. He's their mascot. You know what? I can forgive him because he's their mascot. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I've seen the entire act. And I didn't like it the first time I saw it, let alone the replay performances. But... I understand why he's there. No one can justify Matt Hardy and his group having any national TV time to me. If someone's going to go, oh, but the rating was up. Yeah, I don't know if it's because of them. I don't know if it's because of them. But when I see them, it's a bathroom break. And the thing that pissed me off the most was I wanted to see Ishii. I didn't realize it was going to be garbage. I should have. But I didn't go to the bathroom. This should have been the bathroom break spot. It should have been a five-minute match in between all you the You missed your piss. I missed my piss. There were other opportunities. But this should have been the buffer between the first batch of good shit and the second batch of good shit. But this went on way too long, and I hated it. Wouldn't you know who lost the piss? <laughs> Brian Last. Brian Last lost the piss. Take my bathroom breaks by putting New Japan legends in there with fucking take, joke wrestlers. Take, what the fuck? Take my dick, please. <laughs> well, Brian, but the point is, what do you think the odds are? That the next time you say, oh, so-and-so is so good, you got to watch them. And I do watch them. That they're. What do you think the odds are that they're going to suck just like every other time? Oh, you're asking me this in a rough week. The odds are pretty good, I think. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. If you want to beat the odds, you got to go to our friends at Stat Hero. I'll just slide this in right here while we have a chance. While some of you still have some money out there and you want something to do with it, I'll show you how to make some more of it. Go to Stat Hero because nobody plays daily fantasy sports to lose because winning feels so much better. But these traditional fantasy sports people wearing raincoats and 
darkened theaters, in shady parts of town, the traditional fantasy sports, that type of neighborhood, they're a long-term losing proposition because you never know who or what you're up against or who they've been with or what they might have. So therefore, you want to stay away from them. You want to go to a clean place with honest people. Like Stat Hero, the first of its kind, daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups with the winner to take all. No more fantasies in those raincoats and those darkened theaters. Now you're going to bring your fantasies right out in the daylight <laughs> where we can all see them. And here's the crazy part. <laughs> Stat Hero will show you theirs before you show them yours. How did this take a turn like this? They they literally will show you theirs before you show them yours. Does everything have to be vulgar? That's my question to you, Mr. Jim Cornette. Many, pe- many people say yes. Stat Hero <laughs> will show you their lineup before you play. And you handpick the team that you want to face one-on-one. So once you're handpicked, you're in there and you're 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 farting through silk. It's a never before seen innovation of a fantasy sports and sports betting hybrid that has stat hero players clocking odds that are over four times better. Better than what you say, it doesn't say, but better is good and positive is always good too, except when you're the Iron Sheik. Four times better. Why? That's what I'd like to know, because you don't have to compete against thousands of experts or unknowns. Stat Hero puts you in control of your fate. It's what daily fantasies should be, one-on-one. Although we've mentioned, if you have fantasies where it's four-on-one, five-on-one, even 20-on-one, who are we to judge? Folks, right now, you can sign up for free at stathero.com. S-T-A-T-H-E-R-O, stathero.com slash J-C-E. Use the promo code J-C-E for a 100% deposit match. The way I understand this is you put some money in and then they match it 100%. So it's like doubling your money. And you have twice as much money as you used to have until you lose it all. And then you've lost all your money plus their money. So, fuck, I bet they're probably going to be pissed. If you lose your money, it's one thing. But if you lose their money, they're going to come find you. The goal is to win and well, win lots of thing. money. Well, you better, that's the thing. You better watch your P's and Q's, people, and win this money. Because if they're going to just hand you money like that, you better win it or elsewise they're going to come find you. Anyway, stathero.com slash JCE. Use the promo code JCE for a 100% match. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know what they are, but they're probably very strict. All right. Well, back to Dynamite, I assume. Yes, yes. Back to Dynamite because Tony Schiavone, again, (laughs) did he just have a bunion last week? They gave him a break. He didn't have to be in every scene. It's it's like Tony is, he's announcing. He's in every pre-taped interview in the back. He's in every in-ring interview. Can anybody else climb into the ring? Can anybody else take the hover around and go to the back? It's poor Tony. But he was in the back with Andre Oliolio, FTR, and Tully Blanchard. And, of course, um, Andre started. His promos sound like John Merrick, the Elephant Man. Oh! Think about it now. 
Think Come about on. it, and you'll never be able to unhear that again. I am not an animal. He spoke better than Andrade. I hate to say, but a wrestler. What? I think the Elephant Man spoke better than Andrade. Well, now I might go with you on that. Uh, but Andre said some things, and then Cash jumped in. But they challenged for an eight-man tag. You gotta be ribbing me. We're not going to, at least we could get a rematch with FTR and the Lucha Brothers so that they could try to get a good one this time and get the finish off without one member of FTR being knocked senseless by all that crazy shit that the Lucha Brothers do that comes out of nowhere and you can't see coming. But now we're going to have to watch an eight-man tag with all the rest of the peripheral. Who will this eight-man tag even be? Jeez. I believe it's FTR. Andrade and probably Malachi. Malik, yeah, so they're crossing versus, their angles again. Versus the Lucha Brothers who are over and Pack and Cody, Ooh. which is a way to get Cody aligned with people who actually get cheered. So we got that to look out for coming up. And then <laughs> after the break, Tony was there with Britt Baker and Reba and Jamie, and they talked about Thunder Rosa. And I wrote, Shivani's got to be triplets at this point. You know what, though? Shivani should do this role. I don't know if we're not seeing Marvez just because it's football season and that's his shoot job. Not that he's not making lots of AEW money. But Shivani should be doing the backstage interviews because he adds nothing on commentary. And actually, I think things would be better right now. Jim Ross was a lot better on Dynamite than he was on the pay-per-view. He was actually, he sounded, I wrote this somewhere, I think later on in the last match, but he was actually excited some. And you can... You can tell also just, I can tell sometimes by silences because I've announced with JR for literally hundreds of hours of television that JR and I've done. I'm not exaggerating that. And sometimes when you, I hear him when he's not saying anything, it's like he's trying to think, oh my God, I don't know what to say about what I'm looking at. Possibly I'll just lay out that type of thing, but it would be helpful if you had JR and then you had excrement to fill in the, you know, the, the names of all the holes that he's their nobody lead guy. Gives a shit Whatever about. we want to say about him, he is their lead guy and probably the most important guy for them right now. And I think Jim Ross is the name and the voice and not to take anything away from him, but he's going through radiation treatment. I know people younger than him and I know people older than him who have gone through it and it's not easy for anyone. Yeah. So his energy, I would think. Unless Jim Ross is superhuman, he's, his energy is going to be zapped for a while. And I just don't think Shivani yelling words and telling you how excited he is to be alive and be an AEW is going to help. I think if you have Excalibur for his role, again, not my choice, but he's their guy. Yeah. Jim Ross to do the rest. You need someone who could actually add something and tie everything together. Taz is an interesting pick because Taz is great on the mic or great on commentary. He's worked with Excalibur. Him and Jim Ross, uh, at least on air, they have great chemistry, I think. Yeah. Taz would be a pick. I think there's various people that could be a pick, but I think get Shivani off commentary and make him just the guy doing the promos in the ring and backstage, because that's actually something he's better at. Plus, it would bring a little a little youth, a little youth to the a little more youth to the situation, because we talked about the the announced team in AEW is the same age as my announced team was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. 
the champions, at least when the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes were the champions, the champions are older than my champions were in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, including the Rock and Roll Express. There's like two or three years difference between them and the Bucks. Um, it, you know, that's the thing is, it, JR is the legend announcer. So Tony automatically got dropped down to a secondary place in the pecking order because you can only have one legend. But if you do, you need two legends on the same broadcast team. So you're right. Maybe better off doing the interviews. And plus he seems to, he's the one that's in best in the best shape. And also you never see excrement out from behind the desk. So I'm wondering if, if, you know, something's happened, does he, does he not wear pants or, you know, what's going on with him, but he's not ambulatory to get in the ring. So anyway, the next match, Brian, I watched just for you. Oh, no. In the TBS tournament, Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. Can I stop you before you? No, go? you can't. Oh, come on. Because I wrote, God damn it, I'll watch Shida. Because the last time that I skipped Hikaru Shida, because I didn't want to see any more of Twinkle Toes's outlaw mud show fetish objects from Japan. You say, oh, no, 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 Jim. She's not like Riho. And she's not like the evil Freddie Mercury. And she's not like the queen of piss and shit. What was her name? Maki Ito. And she's not like all these other outlaw apartment house wrestling goofball Japanese schoolgirls that Twinkle Toes has imported. She's legit. She's for real. And I promised you that the next time she wrestled, I wouldn't skip it. No, right? no, no, that's wrong. That's exactly wrong. Well, how is that wrong? You promised me the next time she wrestled Serena Deeb, you would watch it. And I want to say that's the big qualifier here. I was selling you on Sheeta against someone like Serena Deeb. And I was saying she overall isn't that bad. Now, in no way, if I had spoken to you about an hour before this show, I would have said, Jim, you probably shouldn't watch Sheeta versus Nyla so, Rose. But so, so what you're telling me now is it's my fault. I misremembered the promise that I made to you. And as a result, I honored my promise, but I didn't have to watch this match because you're telling me that I picked the wrong Sheeta match to watch because every other Sheeta match would be great. But it's just, it was this one that you just happened to watch Jim that stunk to high heaven. I wouldn't say every other Sheeta match was great. Again, I'm not the biggest Hikaru Sheeta fan. And I would not have picked her against Nyla Rose. Cause I'm not crazy about Nyla Rose to be quite honest with you. But her and Serena Deeb have had two matches that I really enjoyed, and the second match was excellent. Well, but this wasn't either one of those. This was Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida, and I had to watch it. And they did a jump start and got into a hockey fight and had a sloppy brawl, and then Shida went to the corner turnbuckles and did a missile dropkick off the turnbuckle to Nyla Rose's thigh. Was that intentional or did she just fucking miss? And then she missed a standing kick. Sheeta did. Either that or Nyla Rose just didn't bother to walk into it. Then they stopped their match completely and Nyla Rose rolled out on the floor and they looked at each other with Sheeta in the ring and Nyla Rose on the floor. Then Sheeta rolled out and Nyla Rose rolled in 
And now that they had switched positions, they looked at each other. And then Sheeta rolled in the ring, and Nyla Rose just went over and got on her and started kicking the shit out of her. And that, the heat was basically Nyla Rose choking Hikaru Shida in the ropes incessantly. I did notate that I, I liked Nyla Rose in relation to the rest of the female roster in AEW two years ago. I said, why aren't they making her the fucking top heel girl and Britt Baker, you know, try to reprise a little awesome Kong Gail Kim thing. I think Nyla Rose has gotten worse. Possibly it's inactivity because you don't see her a lot anymore. Sheeta tried that fucking chair jump spot, which is she does in every match is the reason why I don't want to watch her to begin with because it's fucking silly. But Nyla Rose clobbered her and put her in the chair and then goes, and this girl sits in the folding chair on the floor where Nyla Rose has put her while Nyla Rose gets her big ass up on the apron, goes all the way down to the turnbuckle, runs back down and cannonballs, and Sheeta moved and she cannonballed the chair. And then Sheeta got the biggest pop of the entire match when, for whatever reason, she hit poor Vicky Guerrero with a kendo stick. Poor Vicky's in her 50s and out there trying to make some kind of chicken salad out of this chicken shit. And that was the break spot. They're going to a break. I said, this ain't the finish. I'm done. So that's when I skipped to the finish because I only, my word to you, Brian, only went so far. So I didn't watch the last half of it. And Nyla Rose won with a submission on the leg after Serena Deeb came out and clipped Sheeta's leg earlier. So maybe we'll see Sheeta, Sheeta and Serena soon. Sheesh. Maybe we'll get Nyla and Jade soon. Oh, you got, you can't be sick. You know what? Who's actually, left in the tournament? Who's left in the tournament? I don't know, but my God, Nyla Rose against Jane Cargill could be one for the ages. That could be Shockmaster level. Something could go wrong. Okay, for the record, just so we know, here's the bracket who's left. The winner of Thunder Rosa, Jamie Hayter, goes against the winner of Jade Cargill, Red Velvet. If it was going on merit and effort, Red Velvet would win the whole thing. Yeah. But you got to think they're not going to put her over Jade here. One would have to think. So again, the winner of Jade, Red Thunder Velvet. Rosa versus Jane Cargill? Versus Jamie Hayter, and, the, and then the next Well, no, match. but well, it's certainly to God, Thunder Rosa's not going to do a job for Jamie Hayter. I wouldn't think so. She's the stooge of Britt Baker. So Thunder Rosa versus Jade, and then the other bracket. So then Thunder Rosa attempts to become Merlin the Magician with Jane Cargill. In the other bracket, Nyla Rose is obviously already there. She will face the winner of Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho. Ooh! I gotta think it'll be Ruby. One would think. So Ruby and Nyla versus the winner of Rosa and Cargill. We would need Jade and Nyla to win. Will, will they put Nyla over Ruby? I don't think so. So that puts Ruby in the finals. Ruby and Thunder Rosa will be good. Rudy, Ru, Rudy. Ruby and Rudy. Jade. <laughs> Rudy and Jade. Uh, is intriguing for different reasons. Remember adorable Ruby Rubelkaba? I don't. You don't. I don't. I stumped you. You did. Adorable Ruby, baby. Adorable Rudy, rather. Adorable Rudy Rubelkaba. 
He was a luchador in the 60s and 70s, and he worked uh, at some point in the Los Angeles, Southern California Territory. Adorable Rudy. Anyway. Did you ever actually see him, or you just know about him? No, I've seen pictures of him, and I like the name. But also because the now he's a hero of mine because I stumped you on a wrestler you had not heard of, which is almost impossible. Do you know Gordo Chihuahua? Gordo Chihuahua, yes. Okay. I used to know him and and his uh, his son, Pepe. Pepe Chihuahua. Right. No, I have heard of Gordo Chihuahua. Thank you. Don't try to Chihuahua. come up with some... Huh? Chihuahua. Chihuahua. It was spelled Chihuahua, but it pronounced Chihuahua. Well, you say tomato and I say shut the fuck up. Speaking of shutting up, they were chanting at people to shut up here in a minute. MJF, we get him twice. We get him on tape and we get him live. Here comes MJF with Spears and Wardlow. I don't mind Sean Spears now. Now that he is a flunky to the to MJF, he's got a flunky, he's got a bodyguard, you've got people in the periphery to, to do MJF's bidding. That's not bad. And MJF cuts another promo. And again, great. He Did he mention, by the way, did you hear him say, oh, I'm the man that's going to start a bidding war in 2024? Great line. Uh, he said, I could take a big old cowboy shit on Adam Page's title reign. And he deserves to be the next champion because nobody in the locker room is on his level. Now, of course... As we know from previously, whenever you say a provocative statement like that, some music is going to play. But as soon as MJF said it, like Mussolini with extra cheese, pickles, <laughs> onions, if you please, put on the bun, the mayo there. I'll eat it and I'll... All right, anyway. What what? I don't know. I'm <laughs> like Mussolini, but there he can. The people lost their shit and so did I. MJF and CM Punk. And here comes Punk to the ring and MJF's got the face like, oh shit, what the fuck? I don't know whether this was an error. The music dropped abruptly when, when Punk was stepping in the ring and it seemed like it shocked us threw the mood off a little bit but they got right back into it they're face to face but punk stand there with his arms crossed he doesn't have a microphone he's just looking at mjf and mjf nobody says a word they're already getting a holy shit chant and then nobody says a word they get the shut the fuck up chant and then finally I thought MJF was great here. This is all he needed to say because he just did the cheesy thing where he kind of got the fake smile and sticks his hand out and introduces himself, says Maxwell. And Punk just has his arms crossed, looks at the hand, looks at MJF, looks at the scene, and just scoff laughs and turns and walks out on him and left MJF with shit on his face. That's the way that you start a program by insulting or offending or embarrassing a heel. You don't grab him and shove his head in the fucking toilet and flush it and give him a swirly. You don't beat him bloody. You don't beat him uh, out of something, uh, uh, some gold championship or some amount of money. You don't, you insult him in a personal way like that. And now, of course, the ball is in MJF's court to be a 
snot about the whole thing, but that's the way you start a program by embarrassing a heel. So now he wants to do something about it. But Punk has not by any means, you know, gotten his revenge for something that hadn't even been done yet, but he's not beaten MJF up. He's not fucking taking heat off of him by just treating him like a fucking, you know, flunky. So the personal insult that was, and, and Punk didn't have to say a goddamn word. That was great. What a segment. It, it, you know, it, again, they vacillate. How's that for a word? From positive to negative at polar opposites. Your thoughts? I thought this was excellent. MJF was delivering a great promo. And then the moment, it's really all about that moment when the music hits and the people pop. And it was the pop for Punk. And I felt it was also the pop for, okay, this is interesting. Yeah. Here's two guys. It, it, it was, it's, the, it's the pop for they, they like who is going to interact in the ring with each other. Yeah. And I thought Punk played it perfectly. Punk has a look. Punk has a 1,000 batting average so far in AEW. <laughs> he has been spectacular in everything he's done. Spectacular by being simple. Yes. I mean, this whole thing was so simple and so compelling. And very little was said. And... I have a hard time thinking anyone saw this and can't wait to see what's going to happen next because they didn't give anything away. We don't know what the hell's going to happen. And it was so simple. I hope they don't rush this because this has the potential to be something special because these are two top tier personalities in AEW. Punk's the biggest star they have and MJF's the biggest star they have for the future. I'm really looking forward to this. And like, not only can they not rush it, I hope, but also this is what the, the benefit was to MJF getting involved with Brian Pillman Jr. It, it did elevate temporarily Brian Pillman Jr. to be involved in something like that, to have spotlight on him as a single, to be involved with a guy like MJF that people do take as, a, as an upper card guy. If they'd have followed up on that momentum within giving Brian a few wins after the program was over with and involving him in something he could come out on top of, that would have been great. But that's unfortunately of uh, too advanced booking for our amateur uh, booker of the year. So he dropped the ball on Pillman. But at the same time, you needed MJ because MJF had been swirlied and flushed down the toilet, literally. and. He needed to beat Brian Pillman Jr., then go to Darby Allen, and he obviously needed to come out on top of Darby, but Darby looks better. And there's still an issue between them that you can revisit. But now that MJF has come out on top of two guys, clearly, I mean, obviously he cheated, but he's, he's clearly beat him by cheating because he's a heel. And now he's ready for a top guy. If they'd have started with this and Punk, before Pillman and Darby, then yes, the promos would have been great, but not a lot of anticipation maybe for the match because MJF would have still been seen as the fucking dipshit that was treated like a goof by Chris Jericho. Now he's got some momentum going. I hope they don't rush it. And also, for fuck's sake, if anything, if any match they've ever had calls for a rematch, to be envisioned before the first match even happens, it's this. Because, I mean, we could sit here and think about it and go up and down the pros and the cons, 
but I don't see MJF bumping his head on the ceiling that is CM Punk and then getting, you know, uh, uh, knocked back down. But at the same time, I don't see MJF getting the last word on CM Punk and CM Punk not getting a, a comeback. So I think there ought to be some way here where they can split wins on a series of two matches. I don't know who comes first, who comes at whatever. I mean, it's, he still doesn't have a pinfall loss, right? MJF. Well, I don't know what they've counted in those lights out matches or if, if they pinfall though, pinfall. Actual yeah, pinfall. that's what, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's been pinned and I don't know what his exact record is or whatever, but the defeat wise, especially cleanly and clearly, no, he's still, he's still pretty untainted. So that's what I'm saying is, is that there ought to be some way that they can orchestrate this where you could get each guy to win one and lose one and then leave it open and see what happens. Because that way you've established that neither guy is dominant, but neither guy is also worse, <laughs> is always lesser. So that automatically brings mjf up a notch i mean i don't know the punk's gonna be able to get any more over in his fucking lifetime unless he cures cancer but anyway it's something to think about and then there was tony shivani again with darby allen who was saying maxwell didn't break me mentally and it's this is where it darby is hurt that he recited lines that he had written in this one, it was devoid of feel, and I'm not talking about his usual just morose depressedness. He was reciting lines with no feeling and not even using contractions. It was he had written this down, obviously, and he said Max didn't break him mentally, and he wanted the biggest and baddest challengers. And suddenly, <laughs> I I like Billy Gunn. I've known Billy Gunn for 30 years and Billy Gunn's a nice guy and he's fun to hang out with. I'm not knocking him at all, but uh, all of a sudden Darby Allen says, I want the biggest and the baddest. <laughs> Has Billy Gunn been on TV in six months since he and his sons turned heel? No, I forgot about that. Yeah. They turned heel. I forgot. Yeah. And then suddenly Billy Gunn just hops in and says, well, I'll take it. I mean, he had to be standing 10 feet off camera and his sons were with him and so billy gunn has accepted the challenge because he's the biggest and the baddest so you got billy gunn's 6'5 275 and darby allen is 5'5 175 150 so but it'll be a good match because billy gunn can work and darby allen is darby allen but it was it was a little a little shock surprising. I would not have picked if you said who's going to come in and say they're the biggest and baddest. I wouldn't have picked Billy Gunn because I wouldn't have thought of it. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing this unless it's a one week thing where Darby's going to beat them and move on to something that's important. Well, imagine hey, you know what? Maybe the Booker of the Year did learn after we chastised him for the Brian Pillman dropping of the ball. Darby just did a job to a top heel. So now he's going to come back and he's going to get a win or two on TV against quality opponents. Is Darby the biggest baby face to not smile since Magnum TA? Well, yes, but even Magnum would smile in the ring every once in a while. Yeah, if there was a girl in the crowd. <laughs> 
But yeah, I, I, yeah, I think Darby is possibly the most morose baby face I've ever seen. But he's got a lot going on. He's he's worried about <laughs> he's worried about having to sleep in his car again someday, and et cetera, et cetera. Um. So now we left that and we went back to the Hardly Boys and Adam Cole again. And they keep talking to their cameraman, Brandon Cutlet, like just to make sure that we know that this is all phony and they're not serious about anything. Cole was trying to have his, his oomph here that he had in NXT, but he's surrounded by children and cartoons and pie face overacted horribly here. But they brought Bobby Fish in, and basically now they're establishing that an old friend of Cole's is around, and Bobby Fish is going to be in, involved in this tag team match, and blah blah blah. So we're going to see, hopefully, that this is another step in trying to get the gang back together, as they say, with the Undisputed Era. But just pie face is just insufferable. Yeah, I actually don't mind Nick. But Matt Jackson is just the most preposterous wrestler in the ring and in promos. I wish there was an AEW supercut, like a one-hour show of just the good stuff. It would be the best wrestling show. The problem is the really good stuff almost always has this kind of shit following it, like Matt Jackson's bad acting. There's more, be, there's more good shit than ever before. So what am I complaining yes, about? We, we shouldn't knock. It would be like one of those best of tapes that we used to get when we were tape traders and the, the blank VHS tapes were 25 bucks a piece. So you just put the good stuff on. So like Vern Gagne's AWA TV show, it was all interviews, six hours of interviews because all the matches were horrible. But somewhere else you'd put the main event, whatever. They ought to do a, a maybe it could be a premium service. We will pay... $25 a week or whatever it is if we don't have to see the segments involving the Hardly Boys and etc. Maybe an idea. They might be able to take in some extra money. Very interesting. You know the one thing that the Hardly Boys will not have to worry about this year during the holidays? Getting laid? No. Well, <laughs> you know that they're not going to worry about that. They won't have to worry about shaving their balls. Because they don't have any hair on them. But folks, if you're grown men, <laughs> if you're grown adult men and you have hair protruding from your balls, from your sphincter, from your taintal area, from inside your nose, from your ears, from any other orifices you have, either, either that you were born with or that you've had opened up since you've been alive, you can clean them all out with the products from Manscaped. And I'll tell you what, there's a big deal now. Holiday has come early. Because now they've got new products from Manscaped, the all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Folks, it is time to give yourself the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. We can't do anything about the face. That's, that's up to nature. But your hygiene routine will never be the same with these great new products. You've got the Ultra Premium Body Wash. It's a 16-ounce aluminum bottle with a pump top, and it's infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, refreshed, moisturized. Aloe vera and sea salt, that sounds like my, my wing sauce. If you're going to be <laughs> using the body wash, you got to make sure it's good for your skin, and this is because it's they use a clean, vegan, dye-free formula. And it's scented with their authentic refined cologne. I didn't know that these formulas were vegan. So I guess not only can you 
use this for body wash, but also a, a refreshing drink in the shower? No. No, I would suggest you do not drink any of the Manscaped products. They are meant for external use only. Well, but it says vegan, so... That doesn't mean anything. It, well, I figured it was for a vegan diet. And these things, they're, they're also very low-carb. Anyway, the new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, that has key ingredients also. It's going to benefit you because it's going to help remove toxins while hydrating your hair and scalp. That's the sea kelp extract. You never know what sea kelp is going to do. It removes toxins, hydrates hair and scalp, sometimes removes skin. No! <laughs> what? No? There is nothing that Manscaped is going to send you that will remove your skin upon application. Oh, I'm sorry. Please don't even joke about that, and please, listeners, get that out of your mind. I'm sorry. That's not the sea kelp. That's land kelp that removes skin. That's a completely different thing. It's got the coconut water. It hydrates you, nourishing and conditioning. The saw palmetto. That's where saw palmetto. He either ran a used car dealership down in Tampa, or elsewise, he, I believe he was a, uh, a, an insurance salesman. But that helps promote hair strengthening and regenerating. And don't forget about the flagship product, the Lawnmower 4.0. The technology, the trimmer that reduces cuts on your nuts and keeps your trimmed pubes a thing of beauty. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. You can, you can get different ones. But anyway, that's why they've got the Manscaped Perfect Package 4.0 with the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, the Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Moisturizer, and Toner, etc. Folks, Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, and your friends the best gift of all, the Performance Package 4.0 and or the new Ultra Premium Body Wash and 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. Go to manscaped.com slash JCE to get 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com slash JCE, 20% off. And free shipping. Brian, is your candy cane ready for Christmas? Uh, what? Is your candy cane ready for Christmas? I assume so, but I remind you I am Jewish and I celebrate the wonderful festival of lights known as Hanukkah. All right, and is your hog ready for Hanukkah? My menorah is ready for Hanukkah. Well, as well as my dreidel. Well, and hey, you're not supposed to use those dreidels, at least not over any open wounds. But uh, I just don't want any of your significant <laughs> others or people in your social circle to, to get any any pubes in their teeth or anything this year. We've got to keep the candy cane <laughs> clean and, and slick and refreshed. That's right. Manscaped, folks. They don't mind vulgarity. That's right. And we love those type of people. You know, and here's another thing. I just noticed about the anti-chafing ball deodorant. This is a very good point. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why don't you put deodorant on the smelliest part of your fucking body? That's what they're asking. Well, actually, you shouldn't insert this stuff anally. But you're No, you're, why would you even put that out there? Well, they said the smelliest part of your body. Actually, my ass probably smells a little worse than my balls. Jesus Christ. Actually, it all smells good because I use the manscaped. But if I was left to my natural resources, I'd want to put some deodorant up my anal orifice before I put it on my balls 
but that's just me. You can do what you want. That's just you. I don't I don't know where we've gone, but manscaped.com, promo code JCE. You can do whatever uh legally. Do whatever you do. want. Well, do whatever what tha- they recommend. Do, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the manscaped instructions. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, continue manscaping through this AEW Dynamite episode. All right, well, the next match on the Dynamite program with your favorite tag team, your new favorite team, Leo Rush and Dante Martin, took on the acclaimed. They are my new favorite team. You're right. Well, thankfully, you saw them before this match. I, I liked Caster's rap when he said, Leo, you're better off as a manager. Apparently, Max Caster's listening to the program here. I mean, you know, this this match is proof of the need for small territories and or training programs like OVW, or I'm not saying the Performance Center because that was too fast food of a... But I'm talking about all of these guys. Well, Leo Rush is along, but, but Dante Martin and both members of the Acclaimed have so much potential and they got talent but there's no place for them to go to have matches in front of a few people and not be seen on national television or not be seen on worldwide internet or whatever, because these it's no fault of their own. Dante Martin's 20 years old and he's an amazing physical specimen. He can do the leaping and et cetera, but these guys, they're just green. And then when they try to do all the acrobatics, because when they each, are known for their acrobatics, and then they get in the ring with somebody else that's known for their acrobatics, and all of a sudden, the first minute of this match was the closest thing I've seen in 20 years to the Mexican minis. And and then they can do that stuff fairly well. You can't keep track of it, but they can do that stuff better than they can do the simple shit. Remember I've talked about the guys these days, they just, when you try to get on top of them and punch them or get heat on them, they just cover up in a ball and put their hands over their head and don't open up for you. That not opening up for a guy used to get you fucking punched in the fucking face. Um, in one of the acclaimed, I think it was Caster, I'm trying to remember, but he got on top of Dante Martin and he was trying to on in the mount and he's trying to punch him, right? And Dante Martin is covering up with his left arm to the to the point where the acclaimed member can't throw a good-looking punch to anything it makes looks like it's making contact so he actually the acclaimed guy grabbed dante martin's left arm and put it under his knee and kneeled on the guy's arm to try to hold it down so he could throw a punch without getting blocked and then he tagged the other partner comes in and tries to do the same thing and dante martin does the same thing so the that that acclaimed member just punched dante martin's bicep over and over and they have no basics. They they go out and they set up moves and spots, but they don't know how to start from point A and get to point B or a lineal progression in the match. They just wander around. They've all got potential, but they're not ready for national TV unless you have an intensive training program for a guy like Dante Martin, and he's in that all the time, and he drops out of it once a week to be on TV in a a concerted push only involving him with opponents that are veterans that can lead him and get the most out of him. This is just 
guys having a, basically a training school practice match on national TV. Not anything against these guys, but they're not ready for it, especially on a program with the talent we're seeing now. Maybe a year and a half ago, they fit right in. But now they've got major talent on this program, and it's not fair to these guys. Yes, I know you want to get them over. Best way you get Dante Martin over is by hiding him for two years and finding a veteran that was motivated and interested in doing something like that, that kind of had of an in-ring style that would be complimentary to something that Dante could do and say, Hey, I'll give you 200 grand a year and I'll set you up with a ring and a barn train this fucking guy. He's going to be a superstar. That'd be the best thing you could do to Dante for the next. And then he'll be 22 years old. Imagine that. What'd you think? You and I don't see eye to eye on this match. I loved it. I thought it was great. I've really liked Leo and Dante together. In terms of just athleticism, I think Dante Martin may be the most impressive guy in the industry. In terms of the things he could well, do now, in the air. Well, now, hold on, Cowboy. The things he, he could do he, in the air. He's very impressive. Yes, he is. Now, the most impressive person in the whole industry. When it comes to, to that high-flying list. When it comes to that high-flying stuff. Well, whatever happened to Mark Quinn? Is he in federal witness protection? Mark Quinn was able to jump really high up, which Dante seems to be able to do also. Yeah, Dante has a little more grace to him, maybe, in some of these things. It's almost maybe like he floats on air. It's almost like yeah. he floats on air at times. I think Leo, look, other than his size, and I know you'll never get past that, and I can't blame you, but I also think he's in an environment where there are enough guys close to his size that you could do something. But even when he's in there with bigger guys, and Bowens and Caster are both bigger than him, he's so unique in the way he works. I love his promos. I like his presence. I think he gives off a great star quality. It's just the size. But when you watch him work, and he doesn't wrestle, he's not like Matt Jackson. You know, he's not wrestling like a road warrior. He's wrestling like a little guy who needs to find ways to use his speed and size to get around guys to be able to do things in a match. Ducking and dodging, floating like a butterfly and, I like and that. stinging like a bee. And I like that. And you know, nothing- Did I include Leo Rush in with the other three guys when I just said all those things? No, I'm I just, you asked my Leo. opinion he's of the match. Around. You asked my opinion of the match, I thought. Um, the acclaimed, I like the raps. And I think Max Caster usually has at least one or two clever lines. Hopefully a line that will make the audience cringe and cancel them, but usually it's a clever line or two. <laughs> Bowen seems exciting. Excited, I should say. Not exciting, but excited. Well, both either. Yeah. I like this, though. And again, it's not perfect. And the acclaimed are really green. Uh, and I don't think Max Caster's a young guy, but they're, they're really green. And I think Dante and Leo have something. And I know they weren't what you would like, but I thought even some of, dare I use the word hot tag, even some of those hot tags they did were different. Like the one where Dante jumped on both guys back to do a big dive. And again, it looked graceful. He got air and you could feel it to make the tag and the people popped. Remember when... I think it was Jelling to tell her, tried to come off the turnbuckle and walk across a guy's back to do something. <laughs> he put one foot on the guy and just fell on his face. <laughs> exactly. Shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, these, the, the, again, the level of professionalism and talent is coming up, but I don't want guys this young to be pigeonholed because they're a little awkward and they got big feet right now. Anyway. But having said that, 
after the match, Team Taz was out there to find out about the contract offer that they they uh, enlightened Leo on that since he was off last week, wherever he was at, they'd made a contract offer to Dante. And Leo doesn't look too happy about this, as would anybody be. And Team Taz is saying that they'll be patient. We're businessmen. Take your time. Think about it, Dante. Hey, look what we've done for Powerhouse Hobbs. And I was like, yeah, he hadn't been on TV in three months. Can they just, Hobbs is ready to go. It's the one-year anniversary of Hobbs and Team Taz. But there you go. He's it's so, I'm, it, again, Hob, they've got guys that you don't see that are ready to go and ready to be pushed and ready to be ball players. And Hobbs is green, but because he doesn't do the Cirque du Soleil style of wrestling, he's just a big, badass, smash mouth, power slam and spine buster and fucking guy. His green doesn't show as badly and you can do something there so but he's never on tv but team taz has done a lot for him so hopefully if dante signs then then he'll be off t like i just said he should be for a while till he gets older by the way i'll take that i'll take team taz feuding with dante and leo ricky starks against dante and leo hobbs in there if, if let's see how leo works against a guy the size of hobbs i'd be interested in seeing that and Taz on the mic doing promos and Leo doing promos and Hook standing there. I was about to say, what about Hook? Hook's the greatest character who doesn't do anything in the history of wrestling. <laughs> I always think of you Punk know, saying, send Hook. You know what would be the greatest long-term storytelling in wrestling? If AEW lasts for 40 years, in 40 years from now on a TV show, there is fucking 61-year-old Hook. Still standing, <laughs> has never said or done anything. That would be long-term storytelling. Uh, they had an interview with the Lucha Brothers and Alex real quick. How the fuck is Alex not with heels? <laughs> he exudes. I mean, you can, I can see Alex Abrahantes working in any territory in the territory days of wrestling and getting stabbed his first week just with his method of de verbal delivery. And he's with the baby faces. I don't get that. I suppose you don't care enough to chime in. I mean, there's nothing else to say. I'm just happy. We love Alex. I'm just happy he gets on TV. <laughs> all right. The main event we've all been waiting on. And you know, when I got to watching this, I it started watching it. I realized I said I was looking forward to the match. And then I realized this is a TV title match. Jade Lethal. And Sammy Guevara, it's Jay Lethal's debut on television. By God, he's going to, I didn't think they were going to switch the title, which, spoiler, they didn't. And I thought, my God, he's going to lose his debut on television. That's, it, it's the first time that dawned on me. This was a great match. And everybody did come out looking better. And Jay Lethal got a nice introduction, but Brian, taking the last 10 years out of the equation, because there's such strange things have gone on in the wrestling business the last 10 years, you can't really judge by that. But in the previous 110 years of pro wrestling, can you, off the top of your head, and you have demonstrated a savant-like 
ability and recall about wrestling, despite you not a knowing, knowing adorable Rudy Rubelkaba. Can you remember a, a star of any level debuting in a new promotion on television and losing their very first match? Uh, that's a phenomenon, I believe, known as Triple H. Because we saw that with Taz in WWF, where he lost his first match as ECW champion, I think, still, to Triple H. And then we saw that with Chris Benoit, when he went to the WWF right after being the WCW champion, and he immediately lost to Triple H. It was a w- so, it's, so it's been 20 years. Yeah, it's a WWE thing of having guys come in and immediately beating them to show who's... To show who has the supremacy. Well, I don't, they didn't do that here, though, to show anybody who was boss. What they did here was they just, well, it doesn't matter who wins and who loses to them because they just want to have a good match. And, and they think that that's what there is to it. So, and this was a good match from the start. And, and Jay did a good promo. They inserted it in the box over his entrance. They started the match with the best lockup of the night. They did a complicated series of reversals and counters and some of the old, you know, uh, world of sport type of stuff with roll-ups and et cetera. People were chanting, this is wrestling. Jay Lethal started working the taped ribs and Sammy sold, but the, he wasn't really healing as much as just doing what he had to do. And there were dueling chants. So he's already over. Jay is with this fan base. And... At one point, Sammy, to, to the break, that he did the shooting star and Lethal raised the knees. And since Sammy has his knees taped up from the pay-per-view match, etc., boom, both of them sold it big and they went to the break. And they did a good deal during the break the, to kill time, obviously, because they're in a break. But the doctor, Doc Sampson, checked Sammy's ribs out. And by the time they're out of the break, Sammy's saying, I want to continue, I want to continue. And they jumped up and right there, come back, and they have a hockey fight. And that's where I wrote Jim Ross was into this, because he's finally got something to talk about. And then Sammy makes a comeback, but he ends up on the floor. Lethal's going for a dive. This was slick. Lethal dove through the ropes head first. Sammy's on the floor, catches him in a grip to give him an immediate brain buster on the floor. That was pretty slick in midair. Then here's what happened. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what happened. And then I'm going to say, well, why didn't this happen instead? You see which one you like better. They were fighting on the floor and Sammy puts lethal on the, on a table at ringside and climbs to the top turnbuckle and does a flipping cannonball off the top rope onto lethal but lethal moves and sammy hits the table and goes through the table to the floor off the top rope a guy already with taped ribs that he's been selling a guy the doctor has already checked on him and he takes that bump lethal throws sammy back in the ring goes for his elbow drop off the top rope and sammy catches the elbow and rolls him up for a two count they lost me because then Sammy was back up on his feet and landing on his feet from flips after taking that bump. So then Jay gets figure four and Sammy goes for the ropes. Jay pulls him back to the middle. Finally, Sammy fights and gets the rope break. The people are chanting fight forever. And I said, at this point, they might, because what else in the world are you going to do to Sammy? 
back and forth, and then finally hit Sammy hits two really good-looking knee lifts. It's what I guess apparently Twinkle Toes is trying to do and just not succeeding because these knees look like they knocked him out and then hit the, I get his version of GTS, which is GTH. Boom, one, two, three on Jay Lethal. I was with everything in this match except that fucking cannonball off the top rope through the table. Because somebody, again, if there was anybody in charge of these matches that had the, not only the knowledge and the experience, but also the balls to put their foot down and say no, that would have been the place. They had an impeccable match and did that in the middle and fucked it all up in my mind because how the fuck? What the fuck? A guy selling his injured ribs. A doctor's already checked on him. He takes that bump and gets up, and within 30 seconds in the ring, he's flipping and landing on his feet. As well as Jay Lethal, even though he looked better in this one than, than you know, or did I say look better? That's a comparative statement. Even though he looked great and he came out of the match better, he still lost his debut in the new company, which is insane and unheard of before the modern age of wrestling. Let me ask you this. If you find a guy that's willing to take that bump, why can you not use that to help get the other guy over? Here's the thing. We've, we've mentioned a bump off the top through a table by a guy who's already injured is too much. A baby face also, because Sammy's a, ba a baby face, doesn't take that bump in a match that he's winning. A baby face takes that bump in a match he's losing. Because if you find a motherfucker willing to take that bump, which... Again, in all of my years in the wrestling business, if you'd asked somebody to do that, they'd have said, fuck you. But I'm sure it was Sammy's idea and he came up with it. That's how he loses. What would it have been if he flips off the top rope, Jay Lethal moves, Sammy crashes through the table, Jay Lethal rolls back into the ring, starts getting up, the referee starts counting. And then they realize that Sammy is fucking in a fetal position, screaming. He's apparently really fucked himself up. It would be believable, because I wouldn't take that bump for 50000 fucking dollars. So then the referee standing there is counting, and he kind of, six, seven, and somebody, Doc Sampson's run over there. Either get to the count or have the doctor wave it off, either one. And then you've got a count out or a doctor stoppage. And then what happens? Brian, does a championship change hands on count out or doctor stoppage in AEW? A championship, we have not seen a change hands on a count out or a doctor stoppage. Because have we seen a title match with a count out or a doctor stoppage? Not that I recall. Exactly. So you got a count out or a doctor stoppage. Lethal grabs the belt. The referee may try to say, well, now, wait a minute. No, fuck you. I won. You held my hand up. See you later. Now, Lethal's got the fucking belt. Lethal technically won the match, but he did not beat Sammy Guevara. And if they do it 
remotely convincingly, somebody might actually buy. You know what? That wasn't the finish because we've seen AEW guys get knocked goofy and have to improvise. Well, shit. He really hurt himself, jammed himself up. He couldn't get back in. We're on live TV. There's what happened. Now, Lethal claims he beats Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara says, I beat myself. You didn't even touch me. Jay Lethal has the belt. Who's going to say he can't fucking have it? There's no precedent. Is there a rule book? Maybe Tony Khan can come out and quote the rule book. Here, rule 24-7-B says, if we ever do have a count out or a doctor stoppage, the belt doesn't change hands. Jay Lethal says, well, fine. I never heard about that. I got your belt. So fuck you. Now Sammy wants the goddamn belt back, and the only way he's going to get it back from Jay Lethal, apparently, without having to go to court, is get him back in the ring and have a finish this time. So now you have the rematch where it must be won by pinfall or submission. And now Sammy wins. And now Jay's better off, and so Sammy. What do you think? I think you should be a booker. Well, I've toyed with the idea, but I've been too busy most of my life. Sadly, going into the match, you kind of knew that Jay Lethal wasn't going to win. Well, once I realized it was a title match, I knew that. And knowing that, I mean, if I thought that and you thought that once you found that it was a title match, other people did too, there had to be a better way to go about it other than just having him get cleanly beaten and then do a handshake at the end and then Jericho can stick his face in there to make sure it gets on camera and then he embraces everyone. Would it have been shocking and gotten a lot of buzz if Jay Lethal had won that title even by that by that method? Would it also have gotten buzz if they were able to convince people that Sammy Guevara had been shaken up and his physical status remains unknown for a week or so until he has tests and then it's going to take by the time we tell this story and by the time sammy's able to wrestle again in a few weeks and by the time that jay lethal's willing to play ball because now he's all convinced that he's hot shit it'd take about four to six weeks to get a match between the two of them slotted back in in the meantime jay lethal can go out and wrestle a couple of weeks on tv where even if they don't say he's defending the TV title, he says he's defending the TV title. He puts it up on his own. The announcers say it's not uh, sanctioned because we don't even know if he's really the champion and that has not been cleared up yet. Possibly Tony Khan says the belt is held up pending a rematch. Title's currently vacant. Jay Lethal says, fuck you. I've got this belt. And it's around my waist, and if anybody's going to take it, they're going to have to beat me. And then he beats a couple of people before the rematch with Guevara. And boom, shakalaka, there goes the dynamite. It would have been better than what they did, for certain. <laughs> but Jim, on the topic, before we wrap things up, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because it was a story that came out. I assume we're done talking about the match and the dynamite. Yes, yes, but 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 other also just applause for Tony Khan hiring Jay Lethal. Uh, they got another piece of quality talent there, and it was a good match with that glaring exception. That's my closing thought on that before we wrap up. Reports are that backstage in Virginia at AEW Dynamite were the Briscoe brothers. Please! 
please, Tony, for Christmas, can we have some Briscoes and FTR? But you know what? He'd probably sign the Briscoes and put them with the Lucha Brothers, too, and that would suck also. There's a common thread there. They might mesh better with the Lucha Brothers than FTR does. Well, that would be saying an electric chair is better than a gas chamber, but I get what you're saying. But yes, can you if, if again, a tag team roster, including FTR and the Briscoe brothers would be far and away the best. And, and then the Lucha brothers and the Hardly boys could play amongst themselves. And then let's see if we can get Fish and O'Reilly back in the mix. And that we could start having some fantastic tag team match. So yes, we want some Briscoes for Christmas. Santa Tony. All right. I think that's the show. Well, there you go. And this is my show. So I'm the one to wrap it up, aren't I? Yeah. See, we thought we were going to have to kill time today. We didn't have anything to talk about. And then all of a sudden, people do stupid things. And there you go. And you got to remark on it. And the people know what, want to know what we got to say about it. And the time has flown by. And the next one we do, we'll talk about the Survivor Series if we're able to survive that with some. I may not only have the case of WSJ wine for the Survivor Series, but I may I may do some manscaping in the middle just to make myself feel better <laughs> while watching that. Whatever floats your boat, if that's what will make the pay-per-view feel then I, And then I can gather up all my pubes and we can glue them on Twinkle Toes and the Harley Boys' faces so they can look more like heels. Who, all right. Who's doing that? Who's doing the gluing? Well, Cutlet and knock it off. <laughs> You know what? That does make sense in storyline, so I give you credit. Yes, yeah. yes. Cut lid and knock it off are the pube gluers. <laughs> all, all right, right. I'm going to end on a high note. Yeah, <laughs> call. They're all out of you, folks. That's the end of the experience. The drive-thru will be coming up in a few days. Please continue to support our YouTube channel. Thank you for the uh, folks that bid on the Heritage Auctions and all the other good stuff. We will see you again. Actually, you won't see us because we don't do video because... This is radio, but we will hear you and talk to you again. No, we won't hear you either because you'll hear us. We'll be talking to you and you'll listen whether you like it or not on the next program. Until then, thank you. Fuck you. And bye-bye everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late, which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.
Says I'm in the key demo. I 